This is it, people. This is what you've been waiting for. This is Everyday Celebrity Podcast. The podcast for everyday people with everyday problems trying to find everyday solutions to accomplish everyday goals. Let's start the show. You, 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 you. Welcome to another episode of Everyday Celebrity Podcast, number one podcast in Oakland, number one podcast in the Bay Area. And today we have a special guest joining me tonight. Um, I don't know much about this this man, but we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get to the bottom of everything, like his life, his upbringing. But I do know he is a veteran, and he is branching off into the media space. So, welcome, Jason Wheat, to the show. How Jordan, you doing? Thank you so much for having me here on the Everyday <laughs> Celebrity Podcast, the number one podcast in the Bay Area. Well, thank you for saying that again, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep plugging that. How was your day? I always ask that when people come. I noticed. Um, today wasn't what I wanted it to be. Uh, I wanted to be a little bit more active, get more uh, production stuff done. But mm-hmm. last night I was doing some set design and... I was going through some metal parts setting up this scene and I crushed my thumb. Yeah, I see that. It is a miracle that I even slept last night. I mm-hmm. took some muscle relaxers, uh, some other stuff. I kept it in ice, mm-hmm. like, and that was the only time it doesn't hurt. It's constantly throbbing. Right What'd you now. crush it on? So, I was, so there's this bin of metal and mm-hmm. I'm actually working on television shows that have characters that are this big. We'll have to get into that another mm-hmm. time because that's a loaded story. But I'm, I'm basically designing a kind of an industrial set. And so we have this scrap bin of metal. And so these big pieces, like this is like a piece to an engine or something like that, mm. but they mess something up. So I just I was holding my laptop in one hand and just lazily going through these big pieces of metal with my left hand. Mm. And I pulled something up and this thing came down and just said, wham, in between two big pieces of like steel. Mm. came down and just crushed my thumb yeah i probably created some new curse words during that episode <laughs> but uh now you're creating a set at what is that work or at your like your house so uh if one were to follow my uh my vlog i uh basically lost the place that i lived about a year ago mm. and uh I was getting ready to do a production in my garage, and so I had to kind of revamp everything. So I decided to go in on a studio space in Benicia, California. I was actually looking around for a lot of places, but it's like I bought all this stuff. Mm. I've been building up, and I wanted to do this thing, and uh, and now I got to go. So it got real, and uh, I found a spot, and basically it's taken me a year to set up, build everything. Um and uh i'm basically at the point of no return mm. uh i've burned all the boats so i have to take the island i have nothing else but to be a full-time artist yeah filmmaker for the rest of my life okay and so yeah that was so before we get in, in deep with uh your creative side yes sir let's talk about what made you the man that you are today um are you originally from the bay area yes sir concord concord born and raised Born in Walnut Creek and mostly raised in Martinez. Okay. Yes, sir. And how was your childhood life growing up in Concord? Ah, he gets to the deep questions. <laughs> Already. <laughs> um, 
it was it was two tone. Mm. Uh, there were some really nice memories, uh, really nice things, and then uh, basically, I am the product of a broken marriage, broken family. Uh, I mean, well, that's nothing to be ashamed of. No, sir. It's probably the commonality it's, these it is. days. It's right? more common now than uh, it's more shocking to say you had, you grew up with both parents nowadays. Yes, that's yes, crazy. It is. Those mm-hmm. are the weird ones. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, my mom and dad. You know, I think at that time period, uh, people were trapped in their homes. Women were trapped being women, mm-hmm. having to marry out of their insane family life, if it were. Yeah. And so they both were just kind of getting out of that and getting married. And in the long run, they had no business being together. But uh, me and my sister both appreciate the fact that we were born. And uh, our parents did really good uh, considering everything. You think they got married just because uh, your mother was pregnant? Did the kids come before marriage? That's what I'm I don't know. I actually don't know that. Okay. Maybe maybe I didn't want to know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I get the feeling that so my sister was three years older than me. Yeah. I get that feeling that when I came around, uh, at least you know how you kind of put the story together as best you can. You kind of play detective. Mm. I feel like I was the straw that broke the camel's back. Uh, I feel like I was not planned. I, I know that I wasn't planned. Mm. I don't want to be rude or anything like that. A lot of us are not planned and turn out being miracles and yeah. wonderful to everybody. Mm-hmm. But uh, shit kind of hit the fan at a certain point. And uh, I think the toxicity, so it would be my dad would yell and shake the house and my mom became a pretty bad alcoholic. Um and so I think as a kid, when the house proverbially shakes mm-hmm. and there's chaos at times, as a child, you become, I mean, everybody has different mechanisms to fix things or whatever, but mine was to uh, kind of be a caretaker, you know, kind of make sure everything's good to go. Dad, everything good? You know, you 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 develop this instinct to make sure the shit doesn't hit the fan and yeah. then that eventually rolls out to become some your your defense mechanisms kind of end up becoming a part of who you are in life Mm. and then some of them end up i don't know i feel like without getting too far ahead of the question Mm. uh they end up becoming uh something that you have to grow out of like Mm. a snake skin but i'll I'll keep that at that i'm trying to stay on point here (laughs) Trying to stay on topic. What did you, um, so obviously you, I'm assuming you grew up in a, in a crazy household. So did I. Um, what did you do to like my, so when my, my father was an alcoholic too, just like you say your mother was. Sir. And being in the house with him used to drive me fucking crazy. So in order to get that release and get that like calmness in my head, I would play basketball outside. So I'll be outside for hours just playing basketball. Mm-hmm. It would calm me down. It was it was my place of peace. What was your equivalent to that? You just hit it on the head. Basketball? Yes. Um now You don't seem like a hooper. I mean I don't get that vibe from you when I see you, but I'm gonna believe what you say. Well thank you. Neither does Matt <laughs> McClung, but damn, huh? Um <laughs> Uh, 
Well, there's probably some lead up to coming into that, but mm. uh, I wasn't. I had like some learning disabilities and I had some serious like bipolar and ADHD stuff before they kind of knew how to treat it. Yeah. And the best thing they did, I think, was at that time was Ritalin. They'd give kids speed and somehow that would slow shit down. I don't know how that science works. Mm. Uh, but I had learning problems. Uh, I had problems in school. I was the only kid I ever know, excuse me, that they put a piece of scotch tape on my shirt. And if I was good, they'd give me a one, two, or a three. If I was bad, they'd give me an eight, nine, or a ten. They'll write that on the scotch tape? Yes. And I was the only kid I knew that. And it wasn't that I was evil per se. It's just that when I got going and my imagination got going and just whatever we were playing, mm. and then the recess whistle will blow, I couldn't stop. I was unstoppable in that thing. Uh, and so, what, what grade was this starting? This was everywhere from kindergarten up through basically up to junior high, okay, middle school. Mm -hmm. um, and so, I was kind of a problem kid, right? Like, mm. you know, what are we gonna? I, I felt, I felt this from the family, from my dad, my mom, and everybody. I was like, what are we gonna do about the Jason problem? Because he's just. We don't know like where his thing is at, but the one thing I could do was draw. Mm. And I don't even think I was good at it, but it gave me control. Like when I was drawing, I could tell like a story and I had complete control. Yeah. Uh, and then basically when junior high rolled around, I kind of went from being the alpha to kind of, and then this is of course is when the split kind of was happening and the toxicity was happening. And my dad finally left uh, that shook everything, especially for my sister, but definitely for me. Um, and she, because she was older, she kind of took the brunt of the fragmentation, the collateral stuff, because mm. she understood it more and I was still kind of being protected, but also I was out playing. So when the house would shake, I'd go play with my friends or I'd go out by myself. I'd grab my G.I. Joes and I'd start making these little scenes and doing these little movies. And uh, I even created a production label called Creative Bubble. And it's just basically this like plexiglass, mm -hmm. like marble. And you see the kid playing inside with his trucks and stuff. And then on the outside, it's fire and flames. And in a way, I realized this through therapy, in a way that protected me from a lot of the flack. Chaos on the outside. Peace in the inside. Beautifully put, sir. Okay. Beautifully put. So I was a problem, didn't get good grades, flunking out of everything. Uh, and then at some point I started going to the boys club. This was my post school like thing to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, I picked up a basketball rather late. I kind of started playing in junior high and, uh, I just, I mean, I loved it, but I was probably awful. If I was to watch it, I would wince, yeah. but I had a will about it. And I remember I was playing well, a gentleman named by the name of Blaine and uh, he was a good baller. He was actually playing for teams or whatnot. We played one-on-one -on -one, and uh, you know, it was a good game. Uh, and he was kind, like he probably beat me by three or four points, mm. but he said, we'll call it a tie. And I always remembered that because he didn't have to say that. But it basically, he was telling me, uh, you earned my respect, even though my moves were still dilapidated and I just was yeah. terrible. And so I just, that moment, I remember that moment specifically. And then I just kept, I kept playing 
And uh, my dad was like a lettered athlete. So he lettered in basketball, football. He could have been a baseball player, mm. but he had an injury. And so he was one of those dudes that, what if, right? And yeah. so he ended up becoming a parent instead of a baseball player. So the sports thing was there between me and my father. That was the way that we bonded. Mm. And uh, I guess just when I went to junior high, that's when things changed. That's when I became very insecure. That's when you're supposed to start putting your toys away. And I wasn't for it. I wasn't for it. I wanted to keep playing. No, no, you're supposed to start pursuing girls and being cool and talking about this and doing this and doing the clubs. And I'm like, I don't, I'm not feeling it, man. Like I'm not, I, I wanted to stay into childhood. I wanted to stay a kid. Why I wasn't was ready. You think you didn't fit in or? I felt freakish. Um, I felt like a second class citizen because I lived in a nice block for a while. And uh, it was a really nice neighborhood. We moved into a fixer-upper in Lafayette, actually, mm -hmm. after the Martinez thing. And uh, that's basically when everything went to shit. And I just felt like we were the fucked-up family on the block. No, I don't really know the area, but I, um, but I think it's Lafayette, like, across the Golden Gate Bridge? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Oh, no, no, no. Lafayette is kind of by Arinda. Arinda. Uh, and then you get a little closer, then you get to Walnut Creek and uh, Concord. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Lafayette, is it like a, a rich area? Yeah, we did have a guest that went to St. Mary's. Okay. Uh, it's in the La Marinda, Lafayette, Arinda, Moraga area. It's mm. kind of this secluded, foresty area with mm. just really nice houses. Okay, yeah. Really yeah. upscale folks, mm. if we'll put it that way. Okay. So you move there. And then you started to feel like, okay, uh, we don't fit in with these people. That, well, we're still living in the time in the 80s where everybody puts forward the great image of success. We're happy, even though we might be beating her behind the scenes, but yeah. <laughs> you know that mm. whole 60s projection of happiness. Everybody put that on better. See, and it takes you a long time to kind of learn and look back. No, no, more people are fucked up. We just never given the tools to hide it. Or maybe for me, I just feel I'm, I'm not good at hiding. I'm not a good liar. I feel like there's better energy expended in just being true than putting on a dance, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, so just that didn't work for me. But anyways, bringing it back, um, I just felt like, I've always had this, and this is deep psychological stuff. It could be past life stuff if you believe in that sort of thing. But there's this serious feeling like I don't ever want anybody to think that I'm up to no good, that I have bad thoughts or any of this stuff. And I don't know where that shame came from. I still got some work to do on that. Mm. But it's very important to me that everybody sees me in a good light. And I guess when I get to like upper class stuff, people, nice houses, nice cars, people who seem healthier than I am, I always felt out of place, like I'm not invited, like I don't belong there. And uh, that's taken me some time to work on that, just to feel like, hey, you make it to the show. Mm. If you haven't done your work, you could be have every right to be in the show, whatever the show might be. Mm. I think you know what I mean. 
And uh, if if that follows you there, you the show's not going to be what it can be for you. So work on your shit. Work on your shit. Did you get a lot of? Did you get into a lot of trouble in high school? Like were you getting into fights and? I wish were you I, like ditching class and shit like that? I was ditching class, but I, to be absolutely honest, I wish I was getting into that kind of trouble in high school. Unfortunately, so I said I was the alpha in those earlier years. Mm. That was kind of like a private school. It wasn't private as in well-to-do private. It was just this kind of niche school that had a daycare that started at 5 a.m. so my parents could drop us off there early as shit mm. and it was just this interesting school called patchens in martinez and uh when i was there and i was this kid that just could not be contained i was the juggernaut i'd go up and punch people in the face and play and do all this other stuff and just be crazy but when junior high rolled around that's when you know sixth grade seventh grade eighth grade that's when puberty starts to kick in that's when you start to put your toys away and that's when my parents started that rift and shit was already fucked up mm. I became scared. I became scared of not living up. I became scared of being exposed. I became scared of getting my ass kicked because I was dealing with a larger pool of people uh, that had been cutting their teeth on like, well, for the males, for the warriors, it's uh, I'm going to test your gate, right? And you're going to yep. test my gate and we're going to see who the alpha is you know mm. <laughs> all that shit um and i i would just freeze i didn't know what to do i didn't trust myself so there was a lot of work in that i think i'm finally at the place where i can talk about basketball now because i had okay. the riff with my dad mm -hmm. and um and sports was the connection and i started playing ball and then I started getting that age in the latter years of high school where me and him were having problems, which I think is absolutely necessary for the growth of a young man. At some point, you have to rebel against your father, almost be like, oh, yeah. kind of fuck you. And then you got to bounce. I did that uh, before I was a teen. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. How, how, if I may, I know I'm not supposed to ask questions. You're the host, but <laughs> how bad did it get, if I may? I mean, I, it got so bad that I... I mean, I never, I never said this before on camera, but it got so bad. My dad was so crazy and he used to put me through hell so much that it got so bad that one, one day I couldn't take it anymore. And he asked, he asked me to make him a drink because he was a, he was a crazy alcoholic. Uh -huh. So I used to be, these are on like school nights where I had to wake up early in the morning to go to school and shit. And he used to blast music all through the night, talking to himself, yelling and, um, he used to yell and wake me up all through the night just for me to get up and then go make him a drink. And what he used to drink was, is a weird drink. He used to drink vodka and mix it with milk. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was his drink, vitamin D milk with vodka, right? Don't try it, people. And um, so one night I was just, I just, I, I'm like in the eighth grade and dealing with all this shit every night after night after night i flipped so one night he, he calls me in his room tells me to make him a drink and i go into the kitchen i get a bottle of bleach <laughs> oh. <laughs> now this is not even funny but this is a true absolute true story and this is an exclusive story getting real 
I get a bottle of bleach. I put bleach in the milk for him to drink because I was going to give it to him. And um, the only reason I didn't give it to him is because the bleach turned the milk blue. Whoa. So I was like, fuck, he's going to know there's bleach in here. So I poured it out and I just made him a regular drink and <sighs> gave it to him. But I was literally going to give my father bleach because my head was so fucked up from dealing with his shit every from ch- from basically from childbirth every night my dad was crazy Damn. and that's probably why uh i am the way i am i'm very unemotional uh Stop. everything that i everything that happens in life like i can say things that happen to me as a as a as a as an adult in life and people be like damn how come you're not like depressed or anything and the shit that I went through as a child, I just blow it off because like I've been through so much shit as a child and made me just blow like it made me be calm in every situation as an adult. So in a way, there's a positive thing to that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a positive, but yeah. it's a positive that was created through negative shit. But this is not about me. That's the one question you can ask me on this podcast. Normally, no one. That's a rule. You can't ask me shit. It is. But go, uh, what, what did I ask you? You were witnesses. <laughs> uh, well, I was trying to get back to the basketball thing, but it was about the rebellion thing with my mm-hmm. father. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was a point where my dad, we would play basketball at a Brown Street Park. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I put my skills together. And then basically Brown Street Park and Martinez, for those of you who know, was a spot. There were lights till about 12 and people would come from everywhere to play at Brown Street Park. Okay. And it was becoming big. And my dad was still young enough and skilled enough to play. My dad could <laughs> ball. And uh, me and him had, we had issues at that time. It was a very tense household because, um, you know, it never came to blows. But we settled it on the basketball court. And my dad's the type of dude where when we play one-on-one or tackle football, he wouldn't let up. He would never let you win. And I do appreciate him for that. Yeah. I mean, that's what you're supposed to, I think. Right. Exactly. That's man-making, 101. Don't give anybody anything. You got to earn it. And so when you finally beat your dad, you know that's real. That's yep. not bullshit. And that, so it really is a real victory. And I remember specifically a time where... And I guess because, just to preface it, in every other area of my life at this time, I felt like a freak. People kind of took to me. They liked me and all my weird shit that I did, which we could get into. But basically, I felt like an outcast. I was scared to death, scared of my own fucking shadow, scared of doing everything wrong. Mm. We could spend hours talking about why. Uh, I kind of done my work, so I can get into that. But I'll just say that on the basketball court, and this is why it was such a blessing for me, regardless of what a freak I was outside or how shitty I was at this or that or whatever, inside these lines, inside the lines of the basketball court, I had the right to perform. I had the right to try. I had the right to succeed or lose, but at my own peril. Mm. And I had the right to express because basketball through the motions of the physicality of it is very expressive. Yeah. That's part of what I love about it. You know, Michael Jordan's finger rolls is different than Julius's finger roll. Mm -hmm. There's beauty in that. And so 
that the basketball court is where I started to be okay becoming a man. Because inside these lines, it didn't fucking matter. You scored the bucket, you play hard, you get that respect. It's something I didn't have outside of the lines yet. I, had to, I learned it inside the lines. So when my dad started coming to play, you realize that there's conflict in that. You're coming into the world where I have finally established myself as a man. And we got beef. And now you're here. And I, I will remember this. We talk about it. We laugh about it. But I remember I was checking my dad. And I had rage for him at the time. And he caught a ball. And my dad's, the one problem about my dad's game is he could hit shots. He was quick, good athlete. But he had a low release. Mm. And I knew it. And he caught one on the elbow and tried to turn. And by, I already knew what was coming. And basically at this time, I developed my hops. I was dunking. I was getting that down and, and becoming a good defender. And he basically turns to shoot and I'm already up there and it's slow-mo and I see this ball and all of my hatred for my father's just sitting up and I remember seeing Spalding. I saw Spalding uh, and I went, wham! And this is one of those ones where you could have grabbed it. Mm-hmm. You could have grabbed it and just no, 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 no. This was like volleyball, man. I, I hit that shit and basically it bounced to the other side of the court through the grass into the street, which was a good, realistically, 40 to 50 yards away. Were you purposely uh, going against them all the time? or Because usually when father and son playing together, they're usually on the same team. It was usually the case. Mm-hmm. It seemed like the great forces had ordained this for me. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while. Uh, so the basketball court was, was like a place where you felt like you, you had the power. Yes. Okay. Well put. I like that. Mm. Yes. Interesting. Would you like a re-up, sir? I'm still working on mine. Right on. So, um, so after high school, well, when you, uh, let me ask you this. Yes, when sir. you said you were bipolar, were you diagnosed by a, do- uh, a doctor? No. Or they just what they assumed? As a, this is kind of the detective work that I had to put together myself. Now, I was never actually officially diagnosed mm-hmm. as bipolar. It's just that I would get these super highs where I feel euphoric, yeah. like when everything's lined up. I kind of call it uh, accidental balance. I look at everything like a clock. When I'm on top, I'm at 12 o'clock. Everything's beautiful. I didn't really do it. It just kind of happens, right? And then there's this cycle you go through and you end up at six o'clock and this is the bottom. You're hitting bottom. Everything's awful. It almost seems like you can't do anything about it and you just work your way through these cycles. So Mm. I would do those cycles rapidly. And so to me, I just put that together. ADHD. Yes, I had that in droves, but the bipolar never actually was officially assessed. So when I asked you that question, because a lot of, kids i feel and it's been proven are misdiagnosed Mm -hmm. like you you'll have a kid right that has a shit ton of energy yeah and then the teacher is like oh damn why does this kid have so much energy i mean he's a fucking kid kids have energy and then they think oh well he has adhd or he's or he has this and that and then they put him on drugs and pills and all that shit and fucks them up instead of just realizing that children 
are a fucking uh uh what's the word they have a lot of energy basically so it doesn't mean that the kid has adhd or whatever or or this kid can't learn in my class that doesn't mean he has a learning disability no it's just you're not just a good teacher you're not a good teacher or you haven't found out the way to get your point across to this child because everyone learns differently that doesn't mean he has a learning disorder and now he needs to be put into this special ed classroom you understand what i'm saying yes so do you feel like you were misdiagnosed because you said they they started to give you what was it ritalin yeah yeah you know and obviously you're a kid so you don't know but now looking back at it as an adult do you think Okay, well, maybe they misdiagnosed me. I could easily say that. But I, I, I'll tree branch off to this, too. I, I can't by any right say that anybody misdiagnosed me because it just really, well, there wasn't a lot of technology in that area. Mm. Um, I, and we could preface this later, but I'm also not a victim. I take full responsibility for my life. I don't blame anybody for anything. So I will say, you know what? my journey is is great yeah you know there's Mm -hmm. hardships and whatever i'm thankful for all the experiences that i had um and so i I don't think there was anything to misdiagnose i think the technology just wasn't there Mm -hmm. i will say though with kids having energy and also what are we feeding them Mm -hmm. louis ck has a really good take on one of his stand-ups where he basically says we give kids caffeine and sugar and pepsi and mcdonald's and salt and then they act weirdly to these things and then we hit them like calm down you know like there's a point to that even though it's hilarious the way he does it in context what also are we putting in their bodies yeah because i know people like that i I can't drink coffee because it gets me wired well Coke isn't far off of that, Mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, give them soda. Like, how dehydrated are the kids? I, You know. Yeah. It's it's funny because when I was growing up, coffee basically was considered just like alcohol. It was just for adults. Like, I never seen kids drinking coffee when I was was growing up. I thought coffee was basically like the same thing as drinking whiskey when I was a child. It was only for adults. But nowadays, you go to Starbucks, you don't even see adults in there. You see high school kids, young college kids, full Starbucks, Pete's coffee. Yeah. That's all you see in there. Right. Addicted to coffee, walking around with their fucking little mugs, thinking they're the coolest shit in the world. Addicted to sugar, too. Yeah. Sugar's the grabber. Because mm. sugar comes around when they get their candy. Sugar comes around even with their tomato ketchup. Yeah. My little nephew, he, he likes eggs, but he only likes eggs because he likes to put a shit ton of ketchup on the top of it, which That's is nasty. basically sugar. I'm not mad at it. I totally get I it. Mad at you. I, I ate Twinkies <laughs> when I was a kid. So it's like. Yeah, I never had a, uh, I never had like a sweet tooth growing up. No? Because I never had candy. When I was growing up, my parents never bought me candy. Ah, by well, default, you should probably be thankful for this. Oh, yeah, I am thankful. I Till this day, I don't even eat candy. This is not a question, but if one were to impose an idea of well, what is your unembarrassed passion, but I'm saying it out there. I'm not asking you. Mm-hmm. I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah. Uh, what, what would that be? Yeah, I'm not going to answer that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> back on me all right so you um so high school yeah 
Did you graduate? Barely. Okay. But I think it's because they didn't want to see me again. And what uh, year was this? 1991. 1991. Yes. Uh, I had to do some adult school. Mm -hmm. Uh, So basically in my senior year, uh, I had some problems. Um, But it wasn't like I was breaking stuff or like threatening you or anything like that. But I was cutting class and uh, I'm going to say I was running with a bad crowd, but I was running with people that just weren't really helping bring me back up. Yeah. And uh, I walked into the principal's office, Mr. Luke at the time, and I said, I need help. I don't even remember doing this. It, like, I remember doing it, but I don't remember thinking it. It just all kind of happened. I went into his office and I said, I need help. And he sent me to a place called the Horizon Center. Now, at this time. Help with what specifically? What? Grades or just life? <sighs> certainly grades, but something was wrong with me. I was like... <laughs> I think if you don't have anything that you're like kind of fighting to get to as to, in terms of goals, even as a kid, you're like you, if you let go of all that, the momentum, the traction of just whatever it is you do as a human being, like you lose that momentum and it's like, you're like, Oh shit, I can just drift away mm. off into the cosmos mm. and wow, no responsibility is nice. But at a certain point you end up, I don't know. I just felt like I was falling. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I don't know. I just ended up in there and he sent me to this place called the Horizon Center. Now, I had, I had already had therapists. I had moved in with my dad because my mom basically almost drank herself to death. So she went off to get recovery, sold the house in Lafayette. We lost a whole bunch of shit. We lost all of our films. We lost a bunch of stuff in that house because my dad had already left. And she basically almost drank herself to death, went off. So I had to live with my dad, who had just remarried to my stepmom. And, uh, you know, my dad was starting anew. You know, he's starting with a woman who basically had a very nice upbringing and a reality that wasn't necessarily in alignment with the shit that we were going through. She had a very nice upbringing. Mm. And so I feel like, and I apologize, dad, if you do end up watching this, but I feel like my dad was playing cover up. Like I was this gaping, seeping, pussing piece of evidence that he, that things weren't kosher. And, you know, he was just trying to start a new, start a new life with this new woman, live a new, but, but here I am. <laughs> and so I felt like the finger was being pointed like when they're taking me to like these therapists, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Mm. Right? And so I had therapists. I had, I'm just going to name pitch here, Dr. Moss at Kaiser. And he would just go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's fucking Kaiser. Yeah. I had Dr. Schwab, though. $100 a session. Top, top psychologist. But because my dad was cutting the checks to Dr. Schwab, Dr. Schwab was also like, so, son, what's wrong with you? Mm. Not even looking in the other, because who's going to bite the hand that's feeding them, right? Yeah. Yeah. I suppose if someone was cutting me $300 checks, then I'm not going to turn around and be like, how are you part of the problem? Mm-hmm. So when I went to this Horizon Center place, this was funded by the county. And so the lady that I saw, she wasn't a silver spoon person at all. She'd been an alcoholic. She'd been through some fucked up shit. 
I'm I'm going to name drop on this one. Her name yeah, was Cynthia. Na- yeah, sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, her name was Cynthia Natone. Okay. And if I didn't meet her, my life would probably be totally different. There's a few people I can thank. Cynthia is one of them. Yeah. Because basically I did sessions with her and at a certain point she turned around and was angry at my family because I had been labeled as the scapegoat as for what's wrong with me. It had all been put on me. And so we'd done some sessions and she said, you know what? We're going to bring your family in here. I'm like, what, what, what do you know? What? What are you talking about? She's like, well, it seems like everybody's pointing at you, but nobody's taking any responsibility for the state that you're in right now. We're going to have, before it was basically like, what do they call that when people get a group of people together? It's an intervention. Intervention, yeah. It was kind of the intervention before the intervention. Like Mm. she was inventing the intervention, Mm. I guess. I don't know. But she had everybody in. Mm -hmm. And uh, basically made people own some stuff and it actually ended up being really good for the family. But for me, it was like, I feel like I just come out of a court case and like the blame was like, not say lifted for my state, but like the responsible parties were brought to justice in this weird (laughs) and interesting way. And we're good. And my life kind of changed after that. I still was that the was that the first time you were able to like tell your dad how you really felt, where you felt safe to say what you really felt. Not nah, to this day. That's some work. Uh, I I don't know. That's a good question. Mm. I don't know if that was the key point moving forward. What it was though is that I kind of gave myself a little bit of forgiveness. And I kind of stopped starting, I started stopping, started stopping, that's the uh, whiskey talking, but I, I started hanging out with better people. Yeah. I started making more positive friends. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I got my first girlfriend ever because I was basically mentally challenged when it came to girls at that time. I was just scared to death mm-hmm. of them. Got my first girlfriend. Um, so that was like, when you see something going a certain way, Cynthia Natone like, like, totally changed my trajectory. And basically, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I even answered the question. Are your parents, both of your parents still alive? My no, mom, no, your mom. Your mom passed away, yes? My mom is no okay. longer with us. Yeah. How is the relationship with your father now? Very good question. Uh, well, leaving my house when me and my dad had our thing, leaving the house to go live with my mom, who somehow ended up living like a block away, that is mm. hilarious, was the best thing for our relationship. Leaving and getting that separation. Uh, and my dad has basically come full circle with understanding that, look, I'm not going to be a traditional son. You know, uh, even when I already told him after I got out of the Marine Corps, which we have not talked about at all. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into that. Yes, sir. Um, I, I basically said, Dad, I want to make films. I want to make films. Um, that's what I want to do. That's why I got out of the Marine Corps. I made a movie when I was in the Marine Corps. Anyways, mm. we'll preface that for later. Mm. 
And he would still be like, well, son, you know, he worked in merchandising jobs. He did stuff in grocery stores. He stocked shelves and stuff like that. And I just remember feeling in my gut as a kid, because I went to work with him sometimes before he would drop me off at school or whatever. And I just remember being there going, I don't want to do this at all. And he was kind of basically telling me, which he meant well, my dad went well. And he knew that I was challenged with learning in some ways. And so he felt the onus of basically saying, son, look, you're not going to be a lawyer. You're not going to be this. You're not going to be that. You're going to be blue collar working class like me. And so basically he would pitch these jobs to me that I didn't want to do. And I just remember from the very beginning, I never wanted that work. I never wanted a nine to five. I never wanted to do any of that shit. Mm. Not to rebel against him. It was just something that felt eerily wrong about just giving all that time to something that's just not fun. Yeah. You know? Um, so yeah. Uh, so I moved away from him and, uh, eventually he came around after I did my stint in the core. Well, should I stop there? Should we start with that? No, 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 no. You haven't answered the question. Ah, damn it. <laughs> the relationship with your father We're good. now. We're good. You guys are good. We're good. Um, yeah, he's proud of me. Okay. Um, we've come full circle. He's accepted everything. Mm -hmm. He's accepted who I am. Uh, and I am also buried my resentment and... Can I tell a quick little story? Go ahead. All right. So a couple of friends when I was serving uh, waiter stuff, Outback Steakhouse, we used to, these were my party days. Mm. Back in around 97, 98, after I got out of the core, I did serving jobs for like 10 years. I was partying with a bunch of people. We were doing drugs. And um, we took it late into the night, into the morning, and uh, it ended up just being four of us. And we were having that kind of kumbaya circle sitting, getting real, real deep about things after everybody else left the party. Mm -hmm. And I remember getting on this word track. Like, you know, I'd had this recording in my head. It was programmed to say, oh, well, my dad, he didn't do this and da-da-da-da. And he buries stuff or whatever. But because I was on, you know, I was expanded, so to speak. Yeah. I caught myself in that sentence. And I'm like... That is just an echo of a depiction I created a long time ago. And you know what? And I'm like, I'm having this moment right in front of the group where I'm like, my dad did the best he could teaching me the basics of life because he knew I was going to struggle with the basics with my learning, you know? So basically he was just a champion at being my drill instructor in terms of son, brush your teeth before you go to bed, put your socks on. You're going to catch cold, like all these basic things he did the best he could for a tasmanian devil like myself mm. and i called him at 6 30 in the morning like i'm like guys yo i gotta call my dad i have to i have this moment of clarity i called him up we hadn't talked in like three or four months i've heard it worse yeah but you know we were obviously separated and Called him up at 6.30 in the morning. I'm like, Dad, I, 
it's be kind of crazy and I, I'll, I won't, I'll be honest with you right now. I am a little, you know, stimulated off some drugs, but I had a moment of clarity. So please take this seriously. I just want to let you know that I appreciate you. Everything it is that you were teaching me is exactly what I'm struggling with right now. Mm-hmm. Just getting lost, just being a kid in the world. And that's, you know, you did the best that you could. And I just want to thank you for that and that I love you. And uh, that was another trajectory change. But for like for me and my father, because mm-hmm. we started talking a lot more and he was definitely a lot more active in my life after that. So there, I guess there's no simple answers on yeah. this table, is there? I mean, your your answer is your answer, you know? I mean, that's all I can say. Um, <clears throat> yeah, everyone has fucked up relationships with their parents. Your your story with your parents is kind of similar to my story with my uh, with my parents. But your my dad is more like your mom, right? In in this story, but yeah, we're, I'm not going to get into that. Right. So. Um, so after high school, where did your where did your journey take you? Did you did you go to college? Did you stick around the Bay Area? What? I didn't have money for college, mm-hmm. so you know I we were all right as a family, like lower middle, um, but there was no money for college. If I wanted money for college, and that's a great segue, by the way, mm-hmm. I was going to have to go into the military to get that. But I took about a year and change after high school. I took about a year and change to fuck around, smoke some pot, hang out, play basketball, uh, do some shitty jobs, which we all have to, I guess, do. It's a Mm -hmm. rite of passage. And then uh, a buddy I used to play ball with, Jeff Watson, uh, he had this smashing idea. Now, I checked in with the naval recruiter. Wasn't feeling the Navy. (laughs) Wasn't feeling being on that big steel vessel. Explain. Oh, it was just be, it was just the fact of being on a ship. I'll be glad to explain. Uh, because you know there's girls on a ship too. You know, the, well, depending on what there ship. There wasn't then, man. Depending on what ship. That, okay, that's not the vision I got. I know now things are more equal. There's more women in the force. Mm-hmm. But I mean, what are we still talking like? Ten, ten women to every hundred dudes on a boat. No, aircraft carrier. <laughs> it's like a floating city. Okay, well, okay. Well, anyway, yeah. You know, it sounds ahead. interesting now, but really it wasn't even the boat thing. It was those uniforms, those bell-bottom pants mm-hmm. and the little cross-stitching in the back. I don't know. There was something about that that <laughs> ah. screamed, I don't know, man. Okay. I don't like that access from the back thing. No disrespect to anybody's preferences. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I, real, okay, even beyond that, that was my cute excuse, even beyond that, I didn't trust myself at that time to make that big of a decision in my life. Mm. I didn't trust myself. I always felt like if I go too far in this direction and the right answer is here, it was always about the right answer. Now I'm going to have to double back and I've, I've traveled like, you know what I'm saying? It's just this fear of instability, fear of not trusting myself and my instincts. Mm. Eventually you come to find out that your journey isn't linear. You're just moving forward and whatever direction you go, you're still there. Your work is still there. It's not. And see, that's the thing. It's not out there. Shit's not out there. It's here. This is your work. Mm -hmm. It's not out there, but I didn't know that yet. So goddamn. So 
Jeff, we were playing ball, smoking a lot of weed, but he comes up with this plan. He's like, hey, dude, there's the buddy program, Marine Corps. Get college money, get this, get that, yep. and we'll be promoted instantaneously because we're doing the buddy program. He mm-hmm. sold it really well. They still have that to this day. Is that right? Yep. I wish I could ask you about potential recruitments, but... Yeah, you can't ask me. No, go, not go not, not on the clock, anyways. <laughs> yeah. um, so he sold it, and I'm like, I don't know why. Probably because I'm a codependent. Other people I put before myself. But anyways, the fact that he... That he was for, then he signed off of it. That was enough for me to do it. So you you went into the military because he talked you into it. It wasn't your initial. Uh, uh, I went in. No, I went into. Okay, good question. I went into the military because I thought it would put me through this machine of this incomplete fuck up that I was, and that when I got out to the other side of this food processor thing mm. or whatever, I would come out this confident, you know, made of steel, badass motherfucker. Yeah. And But I was never able going to be able to make that decision. What he helped me do was just simply sign the contract. Okay. And I'm grateful. Now, here's, here's the catch. He was still a senior at uh, Northgate mm. High School, Walnut Creek. Nice high school. Mm-hmm. And so I was already in boot camp when he was still getting ready to graduate. Jeff never, How the fuck does that work? It just, well, recruiters that So that he was time, in high school still and you were already graduated. Right. But we both but, signed the contract. He signed the contract. On the buddy system. On the buddy system. So the buddy system is not like you both have to leave together? So long, yeah, no. So long as your parents co-sign your contract before you're 18 years old, you can sign up with the Marine Corps. You can sign up with the Marine Corps, I believe it's 16, 15, so long as your parents co-sign that. Don't check me on that. Yeah. Um, There's a, a hold, hold your thought, but sure. how, yeah, yeah. You did you hear about, uh, there's a story of, a. Uh, this was, uh, I think, in World War II, there was a 12-year-old who who snuck into the military and um he made it he made it all the way to like the the front lines a 12 year old and then they i don't know how but they found out that he was 12 and then they uh they put him in jail in jail they put him in jail they arrested him put him in jail because he was 12 years old and he was in the he was in the marines or army or some shit that didn't sit right with me yeah you trying to be a hero fight for his country but the motherfucker was 12 Man, we must. Have yeah, that's a, that's the story. Uh, that's he, World War Two. Wow. But yeah. All right. All right. Finish what you were saying. Must have been one evolved twelve-year-old. Yeah. Man. Jesus. <laughs> I couldn't have got away with that. Yeah. Where was I, man? The buddy system. Buddy system. So you so you got in. Long story. Well, first short. of all, how? Why did wh- wh- you were in the Marines, correct? Yes. Why did you choose the Marines? Well, he instead of the chose Air the Force Marines. and everything else. It was sold to me as they're the best. So, and I believe this is something that's helped shape and define me because if you're going to do something, why not go all the way? If you're going to join one of the branches, if you're already going to make this decision, which is still for a lot of people, not the main decision, you're making a disciplined decision. Mm. Why not go all the way? If you're going to go for self-improvement, why not get the most hardest self-improvement? Yeah. So that was the sell. 
Okay. And uh, so here's the kicker. Ready? Jeff didn't come along. Oh, dang, he opted me. out. <laughs> and he shows up when I come back after my graduation and there's a little party. <laughs> he shows up and he's scared to death. Of you? I could see it in his eyes. Yes. Mm. Well, he, technically, he betrayed me, right? Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. I wasn't mad. I wasn't mad at all. And you know why? Because with I feel I feel like everything happens for a reason. It's convenient, right? But mm. I never would have joined if it wasn't for him doing that. I never would have the confidence to join. And thank God. And Jeff, if you're out there, man, thank you. I swear to God. Thank you. Mm. It's made all the difference for me. What year was this when you joined? 93. 93. January 93. What was, was anything going on in 93? As far as like conflict with any countries? Negative. Negative? Oh, okay. Which which could be like, you know, the, the title to this new chapter. When was Desert Storm? When was that? Desert Storm was before my service. Okay. Desert Storm was done. By the time I got in, it was the Clinton administration. Mm-hmm. So there's no official conflict mm-hmm. to speak of official conflicts. Okay. Uh, basically, what Bill Clinton was doing, um, miss those days was basically cutting military funding. So Bill Clinton was being built up as the enemy of the military, the enemy of the government or whatever, like, you know, in terms of that aspect. Uh, But I was initially lined up to go in as a legal assistant because Mm -hmm. still I'm not trying to go in to just hit the front lines and have to kill somebody. I'm Mm -hmm. like, I'm kind of thinking about myself. Okay, I'm going to get college money. I'm going to fight for my country if I need to, but also, like, what are my transferable skills? Yeah. You know, to me, this was my college. This was my university. Mm -hmm. This was the one that I was going to be able to do for a sacrifice, and I was willing to pay that price. But what's that going to be? Okay, well, legal assistant, there's administrative skills. I guess I had no idea what I was going to do. Um, So that's where I was lined up. But I was like, I signed the contract. I was like three or four months out from having to go to boot camp, right? Now, there's something to that because when you know you're going and you sign the dotted line, mm-hmm. it's like, it's almost kind of like dead man walking. It's like that time, the three or four months, does you want to get it over with. And during that time, was it mandatory to do four years? Yes. Okay. In the Marine Corps. I think mm. the Army had a two-year, four-year. I'm not sure. Mm. Things have changed, but for me, it was, yeah, it was four years or nothing. They okay. Don't, they don't do that optional stuff. If you're a Marine, you're a Marine. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, damn, I want to get this over with. I, I'm sitting here just waiting. And, of course, you know, the stigma of Marine Corps boot camp with movies and full metal jacket and what people tell you is tremendous. It's like a nightmare because you don't know. And so you're sitting there waiting. It's like, yeah, I want to go. And so recruiters call me up. They're great salesmen, these recruiters. And they said, hey, Jason, we've got something for you. If you're interested, there's a billet. Somebody dropped out. It's a military police billet. It's perfect for your ASVAB scores. It's a great career. Yes, they're selling it up really good. Yeah. All I was hearing is you can go to boot camp in two weeks if you take this and you'll be helping us out. And so scratch your back, you scratch our back, da da da, whatever. 
just take this job. Well, how long was boot camp in general? Two months. Two months. Okay. Two months. And you can only go, and if you choose this, you only go for two weeks. Well, no, no, no. Just basically the wait to go to boot camp was going to go be from like three or four months to like two weeks. Oh, so I get okay, to get okay, it okay. over with. Okay, yeah. I see. That's what I was saying yes to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you tell me the jobs, whatever. Military police, fine, whatever. Let's just, let's go. Mm-hmm. And so I went and uh, did the thing. So when you went, you're, you signed up to be an MP in the Marines? Yes. Okay. So yes. that was your job? Yes, sir. Okay. An MP? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Things about to get interesting. Maybe. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, I mean, a lot of people out there who don't know what MPs are, they're basically police in the military. Yes, sir. Um, so, yeah. So explain that. Tell me, after boot camp, like, well, when you went to boot camp, was it like how you thought it was going to be? Because <clears throat> you see the movies, like you said, Full Metal Jacket and all that shit. Did you think the military was like you thought it was? The uh, it's, it, I have to say it's better and worse. Mm-hmm. It's better and worse. Better because in every... Okay, so every older generation in any field yeah. will look back at the younger generation and be like... You guys have it so good. You guys are pussies. They used to punch us. They used to kick us. They used to fucking torture us. And now they can't even touch you? This is bullshit, right? Mm -hmm. So every generation is telling that story. So it really wasn't that bad. Physically. Mm. Mentally and emotionally, for me, See, because you would like to see yourself as someone who's going to excel. It's also a test, right? And I remember somebody told me, I don't even remember who this was, but they basically said, and I remember this, don't take it personally. This is not personal. It's a game, right? And like, if I could go back and tell myself that one more time, it's not personal, Jason. Because I remember a lot of the time they're pulling us off the bus, right? Get up, hurry up, nah, 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 whatever. I'd never been under attack like that in my life. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason they do all that shit is they're trying to simulate a combat situation, right? There's a level of stress that's going to hit your body and your fight or flight is going to want to take a shit and cower up or it's going to want to fight. And so that's training in of itself. You have to function these tasks that we tell you to do while we're up in your fucking ass, motherfucker. You know, sorry. Mm. Calm that down there. Um, So that's the training. Are you able to stay calm in these tense situations? No, not at all. I took it personally. I remember sitting there when they were bitching me out, and this is what my ego was doing. Don't you understand? I'm a good person. I'm defend. My psyche is defending itself. Going, yeah. I'm a good person. You guys got the wrong guy. I'm totally doing all the stuff you're talking. It's not the point. The point is that you're going to be wrong even if you're right. Develop your thick skin. Deal with this shit. And function. And so, yeah, um, yeah. Did you did you excel, or did you? Were you one of those people who were in boot camp and you didn't graduate with your class or your department? Did you keep getting held back? That was the fear. Uh, 
to get in that battalion where you have an injury and so you can't move on mm. or whatever because everything, once you get to San Diego or Paris Island, mm. once you get there, everything is about getting done. You don't want to get uh, caught up. I don't know. It was a remedial platoon. I think it was called a remedial platoon. There's a bunch of people that like for whether it be an injury or whatever. Shit, yeah. yeah. Fuck ups. That's <laughs> basically the small yellow school bus yep. of the Marine Corps was mm. the remedial battalion. You do not want to be a part of that. My whole thing was no, dude, because it's hell. It is hell. Mm. Um, I remember when we got into receiving. Uh, basically, the first day, they grab us off the bus. They're throwing us around here, there, going through. In my mind, and I think a lot of other people's, yeah. I was like, excuse me, uh, I think I made a mistake. So if you could just show me at the door, <laughs> I was like, fuck. So you were thinking that as soon as you got off the bus? Yeah. Oh, damn. Well, it had developed. I was, mm. I was planning my speech mm. hypothetically in my mind of what it would be like if I could just say, can I get off this bus? I've made a big mistake. This is not what my mind thought, nor can your mind ever conceive what this is going to be. So why didn't you? Why did you stick with it? Well, I did try to get out. So I was not privy to how much games the drill instructors play for their own amusement and fucking with us mentally. Yeah. But the receiving battalion, they were trying to march us, right? Left, right, left. You know, they're, they're marching us down. And hear the party now? I do. Um, anyways, uh, they're trying to march us and we're not following commands well. Mm-hmm. So they take us into the medical center to give us all a hearing test. Now it's just a joke. They're just fucking with us and killing time. But in my mind, I was like, oh, it's a hearing test. I'm going to purposely fail this hearing test <laughs> and they're going to let me go. <laughs> this is how <laughs> warped my mentality was at the time. Yeah. So I purposely failed the hearing test and then we're marching again and I'm realizing I just got bamboozled. They're not turning in those tests. They, they didn't even do a test. Finally yeah. dawned on me. They're just fucking with you, dude. You forgot these are the, this is the Marines and the <laughs> Army. They don't give a fuck. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, they, they love fucking with us. And dude, there's some hilarious shit that goes mm. on in boot camp. Hilarious shit. So when you, after you finished boot camp, where did you get assigned to? Camp Pendleton? <sighs> no. No? No, 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 no. I, I got to Hollywood. I went to Orange County, Marine Orange Corps County. Air Station, Tustin in mm. Orange County, about 20 minutes from Disneyland with beaches in 30 to 40 minutes in every direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Orange County. Marine Corps Air Station, Tustin. Most people in Southern California and Orange County know it because if you're on the 55 freeway, the two largest wooden structures in the world you can see from miles away. They used to have the blimp hangers in there from World War II. Mm. They used to have the blimps. They would work on the blimps there. And so these huge structures. And this is a base you're talking about? Yes. Okay. Is it still active to no this day? Sir. Oh, no, sir. Uh, but there's a living community there. Uh, and I think they kept one of the one of the hangers up. When you were in the military... Was Treasure Island still active with uh, military bases? I don't know. You don't know? Okay. I don't know. Uh, 
That would no, have been just, a nice. That was just a random question I was thinking. That's all right. That that would have been a nice duty station, right yeah. there. I heard uh, stories about. But that was more like in the '60s, right? Yes. When that shit was when Treasure Island was popping with Navy and all that shit. I would put my money on that Clinton put that place out of business. Mm. He was cutting a lot of military spending and putting it into other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Treasure Island kind of became cool because they started using those hangers uh, because Northern California has always supposed to been the next Hollywood, mm-hmm. but it's never really totally panned out. Yeah. But uh, can we jump forward in the future a little bit, sir? Go ahead. I remember when Nash Bridges was doing their television show, I was trying to get on extras. And so they would go into that hangar and we went inside there and there was all these sets. It was really like a Hollywood studio. No Treasure Island? Yes. Mm. It was amazing. And okay. so for that time, the Hollywood thing was kind of happening. Don Johnson and Cheech Marin were like the stars. Do you remember mm. that show? You're talking about MASH? Nash Bridges. Nash Bridges. No, I never heard of that. May I ask how old you are, sir? You cannot. All right. <laughs> but yeah. I, I, never, I never heard of I heard of MASH. Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, there's MASH. But this was Nash Bridges. Nash this Bridges. was a television show with Don Johnson, the Miami Vice guy, and Cheech Marin. Okay. The, che- like know, Cheech and Chong? Yes, sir. Okay. Um, and they were basically playing cops on this boat. Was the police station, because like, mm-hmm. that's how cool San Francisco people are, right? Yeah. And there was this detective unit or whatever. And so for a long time, people were getting jobs in the Bay Area for acting and stuff like that. Mm. And so that was kind of the beginning of kind of like an acting career. But I want to jump back on our okay. timeline. But when you say <laughs> Treasure Island, that's what comes to mind for me. Is nice. All right. So you, so you're in, you're, you're stationed in Hollywood, basically. Yes. Your military, did you do four, did you only do four years? I did the four years. Okay. So how did, give me like some things about the military that you think benefited you in becoming, I don't know, like giving you qualities of, of you being a man. All right on. I like that. Um. Well, meeting people from every different walk. Mm-hmm. There's a saying in the Marine Corps that they teach very early on. There's no black, there's no white, there's no Latino or whatever. You're either light green or dark green and that's it. Mm-hmm. Shut the fuck up about it. Yeah. There's a camaraderie there that just goes past all that stuff. Um, and so I met a lot of different kinds of people that I never would have met just staying in my own little walk in California which I never really noticed until I would come back home and hang out with my friends. Mm-hmm. And my friends, most of my friends were kind of having the same conversations, talking about the same TV shows and talking about the same shit and bitching about the same shit. And like I had kind of evolved and it's not like I was above it or whatever, but I just noticed that like, yeah, they're kind of just doing the same stuff, talking about the same stuff. And it's like, I feel worldly. Like, I feel like I've gone out there and I've experienced some stuff and I've gained some stuff and I've gotten some different perspectives from different people. Um, yeah, I don't, I think I want to be out there. I don't want to just come back here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it was, it was, so it was your basically, being in the, mil- in the in the Marines, 
taught you or gave you the scope of like working and meeting with people that you will never see yourself being around? Well, it's not that I didn't see myself, but you don't know what's out there if you don't know what's out there, Mm -hmm. right? And so like, you know, met a bunch of different interesting people. We're all on the same team. Now, it's not like that I, you know, hadn't experienced different races or whatever. I think sports helped me with that yeah. on the basketball court. Mm-hmm. And our, and you're in the Bay Area. So, I mean, that's correct. So it's not like you were from fucking, I don't know, the dirt, the down, deep, deep south and like exactly. Tennessee or some shit. Right. And so maybe that leaves me to be more open to people from Wyoming, mm-hmm. you know, or Alabama. Like, you know, who just basically maybe have some different views or talk a little bit differently. Did it give you more confidence? Because you said you you were insecure. Yes, absolutely. It gave me more confidence, but I wish, and this goes for every part of my, you know, youth, even in my 30s, I wish I could take what I know now Mm. and go back then and apply it. But I realized that's moot point because you had to go through that to understand the value of what you know now. You had to experience that. So it doesn't really matter. But I think the most important thing that Marine Corps gave me, um, because teamwork was already there. There's the Semper Fidelis band of brothers. Don't leave anybody behind. Yeah. That's the, I mean, it's good to have that reinforced, but you kind of in your, you know, Right in here, you either have that or you don't, mm-hmm. right? You can learn it and it can come online. But most cases, if you're not about that to the core, you're not going to be about that, mm-hmm. right? But you can have it unlocked. I already kind of had that. What it, The best thing I take and like for a job interview or whatever, I would basically say like, I learned to do the right thing when nobody was looking. Integrity. Holding yeah. myself accountable. That's the best thing I got from the core. You're a better man than me. I was a shitbag in the, in the military. I did Don't not ask. know that you served. Yeah, I served, yeah. That wasn't a question. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, did you ever get married in the military? Hell no. Like everyone else does? Hell no. No. I can see why it was possible, but that was, as a military policeman, those messes mm. were more often what we cleaned up than anything else. Domestic mm. disturbances. Yeah. People, well, people only get married for the money. Boom. For the extra pay. There it is, people. Now you know. <laughs> I think everyone already knew that shit. Well. Even well, the wives already know that. <laughs> well, we'll say this to the people. If you don't have the financial means to get married, maybe that should tell you something. Don't rush into it because I guess what I found is when people have an incentive financially to get married, even worse, Mm. now you're getting married for the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of those messes we had to clean up. What do you think about the military in today's, in today's world? Pussies. Do you think we spend, do you, do you think we, we, because you know, the military budget, is is crazy like billions and billions of dollars every year do you think do you think we should do what clinton was doing back at then and take some of that money Hmm. because we already have the most powerful military in the world do we i mean i believe so i don't know well i i think no one will fuck with us 
that's why no one is I like to believe has ever that. fucked with us before. However, Russia has basically said with the Heisman stiff arm, hey, if you intervene in this war, Russia we're going to nuclear threat you. Russia is on the kinda, verge of losing to small-ass Ukraine. And they, the sooner the better. So you think Russia can fuck with America? Well, they got nukes. I mean, we have nukes too. We do, right? But if you have a crazy dictator... This is my thing about that. Everyone is always scared of, oh, Russia has nukes, Russia has nukes. But the, the chance of a nuke actually reaching America, they will shoot it down before it even gets close. God, I hope you don't think right. so? I hope No, I want you to be right. No, but what do you think, honestly? Do you think if Russia shoots a nuclear missile toward America, like toward New York or something, you think it would, it would make it to New York and hit land? Or would America be like, damn, there's something coming and, sh- <laughs> and shoot that shit down before it even gets close. Well, let's think about this. The, the, the Cold War was what? The 80s? Late 70s, mm-hmm. early 80s? Mm-hmm. And then through on? Maybe not all missiles would be coming from Russia. Maybe one could end up on a boat. How small is a nuclear device? Now, I will tell you this. I will never come on your show and blow a bunch of smoke up your ass about things that I do not know. I'm not an engineer. Well, I mean, I don't know a lot of shit either, but I, <laughs> you have your opinion, so just say your opinions. I'm scared to death of nuclear war. I'd like to think that, what is it called? The, the Space War, Star Wars, whatever program, which Space is basically, Force. that's, yes, that, well, Star Wars was basically the technology that we were preaching mm-hmm. to say that we would shoot nukes out of the sky. In the 80s, that was called Star Wars, I believe. Mm. I try not to think about it, man. Yeah. I try not to think about it because I believe there are times where nukes were getting armed. There was a time where our government thought we were getting nuked and people were getting ready to turn the key. Mm. We'll get into that story, but we've been close. And with these, good. <laughs> All I have to say is. Everyone, Americans especially, yeah. right? Yeah. They're always talking about other countries firing nukes at us. But they need to do their history and their research. America is the only country that did something similar to, even that's similar to shooting a nuke, and which was an atomic bomb. True that. They dropped two, not just one, two atomic bombs right. on on a country and killed thousands and thousands, probably millions of innocent civilians. Correct. So America has that dark. America is not the angel child that everyone fucking thinks they are. Yes. Agreed. Yeah. And everyone's always talking about, oh, Russia shooting nuclear nukes, China shooting. The Nazis. Yeah. Right. America has a dark ass past and America is the, the, the one country who did some shit that's similar to shooting a fucking now, nuke. Some would say, I'm not advocating for them that we were warning them, mm. don't do this, mm. and we were desperate, but it was, this is war, right? This is war. Mm-hmm. I hate that it happened, but would we have lost the war if we didn't do that? Maybe. Um, well, I don't think we would have lost the war. I think we, they ended the war with Japan quicker than- sure. 
Once that bomb hit, boom, Japan was like, fuck that. But I We're done. Now point. we can focus on the fucking Germans. I come from a generation of people that are had basically been fed all the America's the best country in the world. We're wonderful. And these are the threats. This is the axis of evil. These are the Nazis. Mm -hmm. And yes, we are the ones that actually did that. Yeah. We're the ones that did that. Mm -hmm. So, and I, I think we're, we're becoming awoken to the fact that there are other great countries. There are other free countries. You know, I think the, the mentalities are starting to, settle and i think because information is readily available people can research whatever it is that they want find out any bit of information that they want mm. and there are a lot of other free countries out there you know we're number one we're number one yeah um i feel like there's a question back there that we left at the intersection that i did not we did not touch on uh, do we have the best military right do we have the most powerful military and i guess to that china pretty respectable north korea pretty respectable um mm -hmm. but i don't even know if the battle is on that line anymore yeah the battle is, i don't i mean every fucking every seems like every month or every year we're like oh we might go to war with north korea or we might go to war with china that i've been hearing that shit for years right right and I don't think, I don't think uh, anyone is brave enough. Not because they're scared of America. I'm pretty sure China and North Korea is like we'll fuck America. Up. But I think if they, because if they go to war with America, they're gonna have to go to war with America. They're gonna have to go to war with Europe. They're gonna have to go to war with Australia. Right. All of our allies, right. which is basically everyone. And there's also been a benefit through time. You know, that we are not in Europe. We're not in that area in the world mm -hmm. geographically. We are protected by this big ocean. Like, you have to thin yourself out just to get down here. Exactly. Starve your people to get down here. But the battle is not taking place there. Like, everybody has virtually gone online. Oh, yeah. That is, that is where, you know, cyber terrorism is being attempted mm -hmm. to. Like, I don't even know if the, the, the lines of of battle are even the same anymore they're not it's like america's kind of slowly being sold it's like an auction more than it is a democracy now. the day of invading countries and where you see tanks and people f going on the beach like d-day and all that shit those days are over now it's like oh i'm gonna i'm in my room and i'm on a computer right. but right. i work for the chinese government right. and i'm gonna i'm gonna f do something that makes uh, this election go my way right. or I'm going to I could push this button and next thing you know the power in, in fucking Michigan goes out right. or that type of, that's, fuck that, with that's your, the war now right we're going to fuck with your trade embargoes and now mm -hmm. you're just going to starve good luck yep. with that yep. good luck exactly. with that exactly. now these people won't give you the stuff that you didn't realize you were going to lose when fighting against United Nations or so on and so forth or whatever mm. now I try not to spend a lot of time thinking about that yeah I'm 50. I'm old. <laughs> Yet I'm a kid inside. You're not a conspiracy theorist? Oh, I'm definitely a conspiracy theorist. Um, but I realize that there's no end to the rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. Now, 
you would like to have me back and you want to talk about UFO conspiracies or 9-11 conspiracies, we could do a whole show on that. And, and, and by the way, I very much enjoyed being here. It's been a pleasure. Mm-hmm. If you ever wanted to run that back, I'd be happy to. Sure. Um, but right now, the most important thing to me is getting my shows done mm. and basically appropriating the life that I want to live as an adult because I put it off for a very long time. Well, you talk, you talk about your shows and you, you mentioned that you made a movie while you were in the military, yes? Yes. You want to talk about that? I would love to, sir. Um, so while I was stationed at Marine Corps Air Station Tustin, thank you for being a good host and bringing it back to our timeline. Uh, mm. I'd always wanted to make movies when I was a kid with that imagination and whatever. And then you kind of grow up and you have to throw childish things away and become a man and whatever, da da da. My parents split, this, that, whatever. So I kind of just put that away. Like, oh, okay, that was just a childhood dream. But I ended up at the barracks. I moved into a room that had this camcorder, this Panasonic camcorder in the case. We're talking a camera that would take a full VHS cassette shoot in there close that's old school yeah very mm-hmm. um and i uh i saw this and uh i grabbed one of my buddies and i'm like let's go mess around with this camera right on the way to the park i'm getting all these ideas of like what we're gonna do we can have some commercials whatever so we go to this place uh this park not far away uh, God, I can't remember the name of the park, but they basically had a 10 foot rim and then they had a kitty rim that you could just like kind of just go up and dunk on or whatever. Mm. And my buddy Ed, he was like totally not coordinated, totally not a basketball player, but I, right, let's play with the illusion that you and I are having a dunk contest and with camera tricks or whatever. We're going to make it look like you do a dunk. I do a dunk and that we're going, you know, we're not going to reveal that it's a, a short basket or whatever. And we're going to make it like this head to head thing where mm. it's you versus me. Yes. Da, 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 whatever. So we do the thing. I even think of this stupid commercial to have while we're doing it. We get back, had a good time. I look at the footage and I'm like, this actually isn't bad. And from that, with no other thought, mm. I decide that I'm going to make a full-length feature movie with no experience, nothing, no knowledge about filmmaking. I'm all in. No, we're not going to make a short. We're not going to make a 10-minute short, which would be smart. Mm. Let's just do what I always do. Let's go all in and make a movie. And I was so uneducated about it that I'm shooting the opening scene in credits because I don't even know how editing works. So I'm like, oh, well, you got to shoot a movie in sequence. So I'm doing the beginning with the music I'm playing out of a boombox. And I got papers with the credits who I think I know is going to be in the movie, which it's like eventually I learned otherwise. But basically for two years, I'm using people that live in the barracks Guys from Kentucky trying to pretend like they have an Italian mafia accent, which is fucking hilarious. The movie's unwatchable, but for well, two I mean, what was the movie about? Vengeance of the Hunted. Uh, so basically, you can snuff out all of my like movies that I liked at the time. A cop has his wife killed in the investigation of Victor Amato, drug lord of Little Italy in the Los Angeles area. So Mike has suspicions that, of course, these are the guys that did that because he was getting too close. Mm. 
but he conducts an illegal investigation because somehow they get off with their lawyers or whatever. And it's just, you know, so basically he loses his badge and his gun because of a police, uh, police, uh, brutality thing on one of the mob guys, Gino McGallan. <laughs> so it's very specific with these names. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. Well, the movie is kind of legendary amongst the people who were involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took me two years to do it. And yeah. so no budget action movie. I got a car chase scene, a bunch of fight scenes. You could basically tell, okay, the movies that he watched were like lethal weapon, mm-hmm. uh, last boy scout, any Bruce Lee movie where guys beating up 30 guys at once. Yeah. Not that I do that in any scene or whatever, but I basically was just tackling all these movies that i kind of grew up to die hard and all these other things with the leading guy who's being chased and you know whatever uh and there were times where at a certain point i quit because Mm -hmm. people weren't showing up Mm -hmm. people weren't showing up to do the scenes and it's like you can't pressure people to do that because they're doing it for nothing they're helping you so you can't be that pissed and you can't you can't expect other people to uh to love your 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 passion more than you. Yeah, true. And in retrospect, I could have done a better job of letting them know what it is they're filming. Nobody mm. had any fucking idea. I basically like I didn't have a script printed. I had all of this on tablets. I wrote shorthand. Mm. And I'm like, okay, so you want to be an Italian? Okay, show up here. You you good on Saturday at seven? Okay, great, great, great. Um, so I want you to come in with the gun and be like, Hey, you get the fuck out of, you know, whatever. I would just tell them what to do and they would just do it. But they had no idea what the story was about. Mm. Uh, I still was the ADHD kid. I did not have my mental, you know, prowess with me yet. So I was lost. I didn't, you know, I was hanging on by the seat of my pants with this thing. Mm. Um, but yeah, they did the thing. But at a certain point, I'm like, nobody's shown up. I can't. I've been doing this for like a year and a half and I, I, I quit. I'm done. I tried my best. I tried my day. This is the only thing that meant anything to me. And I remember just, I was dating a girl at the time who had introduced me to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Mm. And I don't even know if that's who I was. I just had a prayer. I just basically said, God, I don't talk to you much at all, but this movie means everything to me. I spent the last year and a half trying to make this happen. And it's more important to me than anything in my Marine Corps, anything being this or that or whatever. This is what I want to do. Please I will sacrifice anything. That was key. I will sacrifice anything to get this movie done. Please help. Now, strangely, the next day, people started calling me. And I know it sounds like that would be a great wrinkle to make my story sound interesting. (laughs) This really happened. The next Uh, day. One of my gangsters guys called me and said, hey, I'm sorry I wasn't available the other day. Do you got anything you want to shoot? Swear to God, mm. like, holy shit. And the current did change. Now, I'm not trying to evangelize anybody out there or anything like that. This is not a sales pitch. Mm. This is what happened. And things started rolling after that. 
The significance, though, of me saying I will sacrifice anything did kind of come into play because shooting happened, things fell into place, and I basically was at a point where I had everything in the can. I had about 45 VHS tapes in boxes of the raw footage that I was going to have to scrub through, and I thought I was going to edit VCR to VCR. I had no idea what the editing process was going to be like or how long it would take. I had no idea what I had, but I had checked off all my shit. I wanted to go shoot one final scene. I'm like, you know, I just want some awesome truck stuff. So there's this place at the end of the movie where I go to fight these three supervillains. One is Billy Sugarfoot Drayton, played by Mark King, who was a real kickboxer. Uh, it was a martial arts fight. Uh, one guy who was basically Billy Drayton. He was a snipe, Marine Corps sniper. And then uh, the two others were these bounty hunters. I had to fight these guys. It was almost like a video game in a so way. So you're in the movie? Oh, well, of course, yeah. He you goes, star of the movie? <laughs> of course. Never mind. I mean, I asked that shit. It's, it, right. Isn't everybody basically? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I go down and I fight these guys, but I wanted to on this dirt road do better stunts with my truck. I wanted to be in a hurry to save this girl and fishtail my truck. Right? Mm-hmm. I roll the truck because. You do it all the time and it's nothing, but when the camera's rolling and you want it to be good and your adrenaline's up to make it dope, you put a little extra on it. And so this road had these two medians on the side and I basically fishtailed. I steered hard too hard and I recorrected too hard and went up off, wasn't wearing a seatbelt, rolled the truck, jacked it up. Somehow my arms did not come out of the truck and get mashed. Mm. I'm lucky to have come out of that. No problem. And it's footage I wish I had because Ed had the camera and he's running over. And it's all, you know, it would be great like reality TV stuff or whatever. It's like, you're all right. And I'm all messed up. And like I ruined my truck, whatever. So here's the asterisk to I will sacrifice anything. It was the last shot. My truck is totaled. I'm like, I'm fucked because I still have a year and a half of payments on this thing. Mm. And I'm headed to Okinawa and it's like, this is a problem. Turns out I had basically, cause I was military has a Navy federal credit union. I don't know if that was what you partook mm-hmm. in, but gives you opportunities you never would have otherwise. Yeah. So my truck payments were coming out at like 350 a clip. Mm-hmm. Per month. And my insurance was like around the same price. It was just $700 Damn. for this truck a month. And uh, it turns out that after the first year, my insurance was up. So those payments stopped coming out. And so that 300 that was coming out of my account started going towards my truck payment, unbeknownst to me. And this is the crazy shit. My truck, which was supposed to be another year of payments, actually had been paid off because of this like a year prior and started going into this X account. So it turns out the money that I didn't know that I needed for editing, which is around 700, 800 bucks, Mm -hmm. was the money I got from basically selling the carcass of that truck that was left over and the money that went into this X account 
So when I went home on leave before my one year overseas, my goal was to get a hard copy of Vengeance of the Hunted to everybody that helped me out. Now, if I think about those end credits, that was about at least 50 people, probably more. And so that was my mission. That's the one thing I can give you for helping me out is this copy of this unwatchable, god-awful, horrible (laughs) two hours. Uh, It was a two-hour movie? It was a two-hour movie because I was editing, editing linear. So even though I was editing in a real thing, I like mm. I didn't think that I had 90 minutes worth. Mm. So I included every drive up, every knock on the door, every come in. I never thought to be like have a scene where it's like, well, we better go check it out. And then we're there. No, we better go check it out. Yeah, door yeah. open, car. Because yeah. I didn't know. Mm-hmm. So I included everything. And so that's what really slowed it down. But it got done. Uh and I basically got out of the core. I want to make movies. This is what I want to do. This is what I'm going to do. What is it about the media and this uh, this field that you fell in love with? So like why 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 is why do you think this is your your calling? Okay, so. There's a certain joy as a kid when you're playing and you're having fun that I've never really let go of. Mm. You know, when you're in that imaginative bubble and you're doing the thing and you may believe that you're this guy or that guy. And, and I will say the, the Raiders of the Lost Ark as a kid. It's a good movie. It was, it's my grail. That was it. That was it for me. That was my thing. And so as a kid... I thought I was going to be the ninja. I thought I was going to be the archaeologist. I thought that's what I'm going to do in life. As a kid, I thought I was going to go around in black clothes, stalk around, find other people that are dressed all in black clothes, and we're going to fight to the death over nothing. I really thought that was my occupation at 11, Mm. 12. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, you realize, again, when you grow up, that's not what it is, but I realized what it was is that I wanted to make films. I wanted to control that narrative. Okay, now we got it. And so once I made the movie, this is what I want to do. But ultimately, I wanted to get back to that place where I'm creating, I'm having fun, and I'm in that world. Mm -hmm. So really for me, it's about pursuing that feeling as a kid. Like I'm free. I get to create. I get to do this. And of course... As a man, of course, there's that part of you that would, wouldn't mind some celebrity or a film festival yeah. or just a culture around it of like-minded artists, and we're all trying to make it. We're all trying to get this done. Um, is, is, is doing this, I mean, I know you just explained that, but is there a little bit of part of you <clears throat> that says, okay, well, this is a space where I can still be childlike. Cause you said like when you were growing up, you, you didn't want to put the toys down. That's right. And in the entertainment business, acting and movies and all that shit, you can still have a childlike mind and create shit. Yes. Like there's all these cartoons and children's movies are created by grown adults with a, with a, with a childlike imagination. 
so do you think that's kind of uh well not i don't i'm not saying it's all of it but do you think that's a very important part of why you chose this space to excel in for kids no just for just for you in general like this is a space where you can still have a child like mine and still be childish basically i've been fighting for that most of my life Mm. even in making vengeance of the hunted uh yeah i've been trying to get back to that place yeah now you can't really do it because from age one to seven you're in that theta state Mm. you're in a trance you're you're literally downloading information. That's why everything from one to seven feels like a dream. When you think about those thoughts, it's like, it's wondrous. Right. And like, I used to go out and just see the sun and just be enamored by it. And then, and the memories of that now granted some better than others, if it's a nightmare, of course, then it's super dark and like, you know, some type of, you know, horrible movie. But Mm. I had those moments where when I was in my imagination, nothing could get to me. And so, yeah, it's been my dream to do that for living. Now, the industry's not set up for everybody to succeed. Everybody wants to be the director, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody wants the glory. Everybody wants to be the lead actor. Mm -hmm. But when you become a real technician and a real, you know, person of the industry, like, I just want to be part of a project. I just want the synergy. I just want the people. Mm -hmm. That's the next level. But it's like, there's so many, so many spots for that type of thing. Yeah. If you really want to be that, you got to make your own movie. I mean, that's my formula. Mm. The Sylvester Stallone way. Well, I don't know if they want me in here, you know, but uh, I can make my own movie. And, you know, of course, that's not <laughs> how he really thought. But, like, he did it. He put his script together. He somehow, like, by hook or crook, got that shit done. Yeah. That to me is the Rocky story. The Rocky story where you know, he's the underdog. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's why there's so much appeal there. Because the man that made the movie is totally in line with the character that he wrote, which... Still not wrote that? I believe he did. Okay. I guess you I can't mean, quote me on that. I believe he wrote it. He directed it? Yeah, I think so. Oh, I don't know that. Wow, we don't know shit. Oh, shit. But I, I believe so. <laughs> but... The, the point being is that it was his idea mm-hmm. and he was going to be in the movie. He was going to get, he got the movie done. Mm-hmm. That was his movie. I can't call whether like he yeah, didn't yeah. have help with the directing. But uh, to me, that was always it because my grandma would say, and my grandma, she was the most wonderful person, but you know, she had some old ideals. Mm. Well, darling, you got to know somebody to make it in the industry. You know, and she would take yeah, us to yeah. the movie lots or whatever, but that stuck with me and that fucked with me. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you got to know somebody. So you're basically telling me grandma that I can't make it right now. With all due respect, fuck that grandma. I didn't say that, of course. <laughs> she was my angel. Yeah. But with my work pushing forward, my work was saying, fuck you to that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get it done. I'm going to make that's it. That's the key. So. I want to make sure that we've covered all of our bases before I get into any other movie or stuff. What like year? That. What year did you get out of the military? Ninety-seven. Ninety-seven. So 97. after you got out of the military, what did what did you uh, did you go straight into uh, movie making? No, 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 no. I I spent some time in Southern California fucking around. Mm. I basically fall in love with a woman who basically hustled me a little bit, uh, 
And I moved in with her, but we moved in as not in a relationship anymore. But when I went to Okinawa, Japan for my year overseas, uh, I was still in love with her. I was still whooped on her, basically. She'd basically- Japanese woman? No, no. This was was, uh, a redhead with copper skin. Mm. Uh, We- (laughs) <laughs> we worked out because you want to you shut out her name nah i can't <laughs> there's certain people i have to protect right. uh we'll say her name starts with a v um <laughs> well, i'll keep it at that but uh she was a little older than me and uh, uh she basically if we can enter this arena she basically brought me along in terms of fully expressing myself in the bedroom and all that type of stuff, just yep. fully coming around, mm-hmm. uh, for lack of a better way to say it. And of course, as a young man, who's not going to get whipped on that? And she, you know, was a good manipulator, and uh, I was a a fixer. Mm. So we worked out really good because her dysfunction met my dysfunction perfectly, and then uh-huh. you tie sex into all that stuff. So I thought I was in love with her, and yeah. I, you know, I really was but I was whooped on her. I came back and thought I was going to get back with her, but that wasn't going to be the case. Um, So I eventually, after spending some time in Southern California, I moved back home doing some odd jobs, security jobs. That got boring. That's when I got into the restaurant stuff. And then I was bouncing in uh, Walnut Creek. I was bouncing for a place called Abernathy's, which no longer exists, but light bands had come through there. And that was probably like, the golden years of like you still have your life ahead of you uh but you've arrived as a man kind of and just it's just one of those party times it's like in limbo of being older and being younger you're right in the center you got the best of everything you got women around you don't know what you have while you have it Mm. uh yeah, it was a great time. You didn't try to be a, a police officer since you were MP in the military? That really wasn't what I was supposed to be doing. Mm. The MP thing, everybody kind of knew in my platoon. They saw me as a shitbird because I wasn't committed to being a great military policeman. Yeah. I never wrote one DUI. And there were people uh, that were laughing getting in DUI writing contests. I didn't like that. Mm. And if I'm just to quickly go back to MP school in Fort McClellan, Alabama, I didn't even like the way the Marines kind of changed already. We went to MP school and I just got off the Semper Fidelis band of brothers thing in boot camp. And when I got to military police school, the tone kind of changed. Things were different. People weren't marching anymore. Mm. And I was starting to feel like, there's more and rightfully so for that occupation, but it was kind of like a us against them kind of mentality. Now we could seg with that. I don't want to take it too far, but I just, there was something that didn't set right with me and just, it just was not the job for me. Mm. I was not confident enough in myself to say that I'm righteous enough to tell someone else what they need to do. It didn't feel right. Yeah. I performed better when I was doing marksmanship instruction, coaching for rifle, pistol, helping people execute on the uh, on the range mm-hmm. to improve their cutting score. I'm helping people. That felt right. The MP thing, it just wasn't a good thing for me. So, yes, I could have gotten to any law enforcement 
FBI job, any of that stuff. I could have gotten into any of that, but I'm a creator. I'm a mm. filmmaker. That's what I want to do. That's, that's my thing. So, 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 so now what are you working on now? Shows. Shows? Yes. Okay. Uh, it's been a kind of a, a tough evolution, but uh, I realize, God, how do I get into this? Um, my characters are six inches tall. Uh, Explain that. What do you mean by that? All right. So there was a way that I played as a kid with my imagination, right? Mm-hmm. So even when I had to get rid of my toys, I'd be in class and uh, I would basically started using my hands as characters. So you see this guy face, right arm, left arm, chest, legs. That's a dude, right? Mm-hmm. There's another dude. <laughs> so they're fighting, right? Yeah. It's about the weirdest thing you're about to know about me, but I did that all the time as a kid uh-huh. uh, growing up and like, you know, if I had nothing to do or whatever, I get locked up into it. I'd be in class doing it and people watch me. Some people would join in, but like that was just, Oh man, that's just Jason being Jason. But people got it and they were like, you know, into the stories like, Oh, who's boxing who, you know, to boxing matches. I had full sports leagues at home, baseball, football, basketball. And here's the thing. I'd roll dice what kind of pitch, what kind of swing, all these other types of things. And so I didn't even know the outcome to some of these things. Probably should leave that at that. But it was always incumbent on me to put it in my movie. So the movie I tried to make when I was getting out of the Marine Corps, which evolved a lot, was called Last Second Film Project. And I wanted the movie to start with the kid. You're with the kid. And we're inside of his creative world. We're seeing what it's like for him to do, you know, to draw, but we're seeing it through his eyes. Mm -hmm. He's doing this. We're seeing it through his eyes. And then the ADHD thing where he's in class, he's trying to learn. He can't. Then he evolves these characters and then he just starts making them do stuff. And that carries on. And so I always wanted to make shows with these guys, but I never followed through with it because I had already written it into the beginning of my movie, which never got finished. By the way, I spent 10 years trying to make this movie Damn. from somewhere around 2004, 2005. I was using my GI bill, was taking film classes, acting classes, the whole lot until they wouldn't let me take any anymore. Mm. Now you got to take some regular gen ed subjects, son, you know, yeah. whatever. So basically I worked on this movie I was trying to make another vengeance of the hunted, but evolved in 10 years of my life. Basically, this was the most important thing in my life. And, uh, as you evolve, uh, the adult side of you is like, well, you know what? I would like to entertain some, some more lady company. I'd like to live more comfortably. I like to know that I'm not skating financially. That part of you that wants some structure so you can relax for a second starting to kick in right mm. like so the movie ended up kind of dying through a, a bunch of things but i lost some stuff on a hard drive i had the movie two-thirds edited 
in a hard drive, lost the hard drive. So not only did I lost all the imported footage, I lost the edits, I lost everything. And so I kind of basically was doing other creative ventures along the way. And the movie was always something on the shelf that I was going to come back to and do at some point. We're going to come back. You know, my friends will be like, come on, you want to get, the... but you know, easier said than done. It's like, I can't go back and live the life that I lived. We need a budget. We need to do it right. And unfortunately this is not where I, I mean, like I'm an artist. I'm not a marketer. I I'm not good with money per se. This is something this is the area where I always feel like I need a producer. I need someone who knows this shit that can keep me in line, help keep me focused. I need a business-minded person to do this because I'm not good at that part. In that aspect, I am still the child. Yeah. So mm, I kind of moved on. Uh, and I could actually say, you know, suffice it, a few couple of projects in an acting career that I tried to get going. Uh I feel like we could just push that forward to COVID mm. because when basically everybody was winding down to shut down from work and like everybody kind of knew we're going to have a shutdown quarantine's going to happen. Never. It's going to be stuck in their homes. Most people were shitting bricks. I was like this. All right. I'm going to get paid to work on my screenplay, get my movie going again. And you know what? Enough of this. I'm only a filmmaker. Fuck this YouTube shit. It's time for you to evolve, old man. It's like, there's this ego thing for everybody where it's like, you're this and there's a reason why you can't do that. Yeah, that's, that's a question that I have for you. Have you ever thought about, did you ever think about starting off small? Because, <laughs> I mean, you, you jumped head first into making a movie i mean that's commemorable obviously yes Thank you. because a lot of people just can't be like you know what i'm gonna i'm 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 waking up i'm making a full two-hour fucking movie with no experience yeah. so i commend you on that but most people will start off you know i i want to make a movie but you know, I need to learn the game first. Maybe I'll work on a movie set as a fucking uh, assistant or something. Or maybe, and then from an assistant, maybe I'll start, uh, I don't know, being like uh, learning like casting and like producing. And then next thing you know, oh, I'm going to learn, um, I want to work with these motherfuckers in this film editing room where they do all that shit. So like learning little different aspects and then for years, the next thing you know, it's the whole, it's basically the whole story of I started at this magazine and I was an assistant. Right. And now I'm, the, now I'm the editor of the goddamn magazine. Right. You understand right. what I'm saying? So did you, did, you, did you not think of going into this field that direction? Jordan, are you trying to bring common sense into my life? A little bit. <laughs> shit. <laughs> Because if you, I think if you would have went in that direction, you would have learned. Like you know, it takes this to make a movie, so I'm not even going to waste my time. Uh, for, I'm not going to lose all of this footage. Mm -hmm. I'm going to know a camera to film. I'm going to know how to edit all this shit. I'm I'm going to know what it takes to pull this uh, scene off or what I need. And you know, you you know what I'm talking about, right? Absolutely. If I could go back. 
Yes. Because mm-hmm. even after all this time, I just put myself through basic photography school because I still didn't know exactly what white balance was, frame rate, yeah, all these things. I kind of didn't know. But you said, why not learn? And I guess that was the key word is even to this very day, I have evolved mentally, my ability to take notes, learn, mm. speak my words. I am a 2.1 evolved version of who I used to be, Yeah, which has required a lot of different things um, to get my brain where I needed to be. But the stigma in my mind, the, the, the setting, the compass still says it still is programmed to lean away from things where you're going to have to learn. So whether it's still true or not, the belief system in my mind veers away from things that require a lot of learning. And when I look at something that I need to learn, like, for example, right now, I've tried to do all my editing through Premiere with these finger characters that I'm making, Mm. I need to get on some after effects shit. Yeah. I need to get on some special effects and it, it, I'm yearning to like reach out to someone who I could call and be like, Hey, I'm having trouble with this 3d camera tracking. Can you hook me up? I still need a guide. Mm. I can't just do tutorials cause I have follow up questions. (sighs) This is actually where I'm at. So the things that I didn't learn now, I'm having to learn, even though I've got 40 scripts for episodes and shows in the books, my ideas are coming in. I even journaled it basically this morning. I drew a train getting ready to go through a tunnel, but the train kind of crashed and it's T-boned the tunnel and the cars keep hitting it. And the cars are my ideas. I'll get a new idea for an episode for a character And I'll get the inspiration and I'll break off what I'm doing to write it while I have it. And sometimes you just get an idea and I'm like, okay, I'll just keep this on my tablet. Or if it's a more evolved idea, I'll put it into notes in my Mm. laptop. But if the scenes and everything else is coming to me and the characters, they're starting to talk to me, then I'll go to my screenwriting software and I'm like, okay, we got specifics. We got location that's happening. And it's like, I'm still at the starting line with production. I've been in my studio for a year building the faces, the clothes, all the stuff, the car, everything, and I'm still doing it. It's a lot of work. Well, I mean, well, you know you can't do everything yourself, right? I'm sorry? There, there is no, there is no uh, director. You, know, you might look at Steven Spielberg and be like, yeah. damn, this mood, he made the color purple. That movie was amazing. Do you think Steven Spielberg did everything himself? Directors have like four or five assistant directors, right? Yes. And then they have productions and and, uh, costume designers. So they basically, that's what I think. Like when I do this podcast, right? I'm doing everything myself. But eventually I would like to be like, oh. Because I'm not really good at editing. Mm-hmm. I don't know shit about sound or video. But eventually, I would get to the point where I can hire or work with someone who sound is their is their thing. All right. Editing is their thing. 
Like these people are who is their thing on these specific topics, you know? Yes. And then all I got to do is show up and do what I do, which is talk and interview people. Yeah. So I do think you probably are like, oh, this shit is, I'm making this movie. I got to do everything my fucking self, but I f- feel like you should have trust. And I don't know if this is the scenario or not, but have trust in other people where they can be like, yo, let me do this for you. And you feel, and tell me if I'm wrong, you probably feel like, no, this is my story. This is my idea. I like things a certain way. And it's hard for me to put my idea in your hands. You just hit the nail on the head. That's exactly it. I did study psychology. Trust. Ah. (laughs) I'll leave that at that. Um, That was one to pour a drink on, though, because that's my work. Mm. That is my spiritual work moving forward. It's taking my hands off the wheel and allowing and coming full circle with what it is I'm trying to intend for myself, what my intentions are for my life. I want meaningful people in my life. I'm looking for my soul tribe. Mm. So the, the genius who's working by himself hour after hour after hour, that's who I am right now. And I don't want to be that. So I realized basically when the ideas were coming in faster than I can produce them. And it's like, I feel like the universe likes speed. When you get the inspiration for an idea, you're supposed to act on that shit. Mm. Like a gateway has been opened up and the timing has been set forth. So now you got this idea. You need to take that and deliver. Yeah. And it's like, I'm feeling like I'm, I'm getting these things down, but then I'm putting them in this bank and I'm still at the fin- at the starting line, like with these basic production needs. So I will tell you, I broke my way and I said, okay, I need help. I need help. Now, the ego would like to think, well, man, you envision yourself accepting this award for this great journey you went on because you were all the people in the credits, right? Yeah. Well, I, I built the sets, these mini sets, and I did the thing, and I, I did this all, you know. You want all the credit, yeah? Well, I'm ready to trash that shit because mm. I realize my main goal right now As a 50-year-old, because what the pandemic and everything else, and also just being 50, has brought to me. Is that that our alarm? No, no, no. All right. (laughs) What it's made me realize is that I don't want to die with my music still in me. I have a movie I worked on for 10 years, and none of that footage. I mean, I've used some of that footage on my vlog and on my Instagram to just show, hey, this was a fight scene. Uh -uh." Mm. But the ideas of the movie, which are great. Uh, may never see the light of day. And Denzel Washington, I I listen to a lot of motivational stuff. Mm. You know, these motivation hubs where you hear so a lot of I, quotes. Yeah, mm. yeah. Oh, I love that stuff. And Denzel Washington had a quote that I'm like, oh man, that's on point. He says, well, what if you have these ideas that say, hey, we want you to make me. And then you get to the end of your life and you didn't act on those. Those ideas are going to be there to be like, hey, we came to you. This is a real quote. I don't remember who was interviewing. We came to you to be brought into this world. Mm. And you didn't follow through. 
we come to the wrong person. Mm. That's the nightmare for me is that I, I had the opportunity to give birth to all these things. Cause here's the thing that separates me from certain artists is that a lot of people just want authorship for everything that comes through. I believe the creative process is an iris that's opening to endless intelligence and information, which we may call God, we may call source, we may call something, I don't know, mm-hmm. different discussion for a different time. But you're basically, when you get inspiration and it's like, just starts pouring out like this vein, do you think that's just you? Again, different discussion for a different time and I'm not allowed to ask questions, but I believe, <laughs> I believe it's not. Okay. Because... I remember ideas that I got, inspirations that I got that I didn't act on. And then I see them happen two years later, almost to a point, And I'm like, that fucker got the same idea that I got. Yeah, I understand that, yeah. Except I fumbled the ball. I fumbled the snap. Mm. They took it. They were ready, handed it off, touchdown. Mm. This is about how long it would have taken for me to produce this. Mm. And that pain. Anyways, I don't want to die with my music still in me. I want to get my shit out. This is all I care about. <sighs> what's, the, what's, the, what's the status of this movie that you've been working on for 10 years? Is it still sitting on the shelf or what? I got 90. You just went through this whole speech of yes. not wanting your fucking die with your music. Okay. Don't fucking tell me that it's just still sitting on the shelf. It's still sitting on the shelf. Wow. Um, okay. I have a dream. Mm-hmm. that with budget because this is a this is a big action movie okay. with a nice psychological twist story's phenomenal i had 10 years to revise these scripts basically based on the experiences i was having in my life of course another movie loosely based on me mm-hmm. where i'm the lead character beating everybody's ass <laughs> i should get my ass beat a lot in this movie but <clears throat> it's not something i can do with no budget anymore Mm. And an interesting thing about that is that you, you, you take the reins with an independent project and maybe, maybe I don't believe that it's good enough per se to sell to someone who could make it for the right budget in the system. Maybe I believe that because I'm a tactile person who kind of understands things through building. I'm actually not a visual person. I found this out recently. Mm. It took a shaman to tell me you're actually not a visual person. And it wasn't bullshit. It was actually true. I'm like, you're right. I can't pre-visualize. Even when I draw, I kind of try to pre-visualize what I'm drawing, but it kind of just, it has to happen. And then the shapes that I put on the paper kind of tell me where to go with the picture. So it kind of takes on a life of its own. So this is where that whole, letting the the being letting the thing manifest as its own organic cell uh-huh. is like where i can be used in a good way to create because i'm kind of allowing it to be and i'm looking to see what this is and i'm kind of watching this in amazement as it's happening this isn't me or whatever so god damn it did i lose track no i didn't trust that my movie would be good enough unless i made it because i didn't know how to write a script correctly in terms of industry standards. Then I'm going to leave that to them to steal my idea. No, uh, I don't know how to storyboard. I mean, I'm a good storyboard artist, but 
my storyboards may not be on par with the way they do it in the industry. So maybe it's almost like the incompletion of all my technical proficiency in all these areas, mm-hmm. because I did it for my movie. I would write a script the way you wouldn't write a script, right? In like in the details, right? The, 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 uh, the, the, the heading before you get into the dialogue, you have the, you know, here, day, this pad, we're at a warehouse where blah, blah, blah. You're not supposed to stay specifics. You're not supposed to say specific stuff. Like we pan around to see this over the shoulder. You're not supposed to do that because Mm -hmm. I already know I'm shooting it. I'm leaving that for myself. Mm -hmm. So that's just an example of, I don't think any of the things that I've developed as skills are ready for industry per se. Mm -hmm. So it just feels like I'm supposed to make this movie. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know anything about the the process of writing a script, but there's a movie on Netflix about I mean, I'm pretty sure you know that you've seen The Godfather, right? Yes. There's a there's a movie on Netflix about the person who wrote uh who created The Godfather, who huh. wrote like the fucking the script and presented. So basically he came up with this script, which was the Godfather series. And then he was shopping it around. No one believed in him. No one wanted to make that movie. And well, I didn't watch the movie on Netflix, (laughs) but that's what, this is what the movie is about is basically his journey of trying to get this movie made. And the, and he had to go to the fucking, the mafia to get the to get the movie made. He had to go to the fucking because uh, the Italians, the Italians didn't want because obviously they didn't want to be portrayed in that light, and they were trying to kill this guy for trying to get this movie made. Oh, and then he had to go. He had to talk to somebody and go to the mafia to get the funding or blah 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 to make this movie. And then next thing you know, The Godfather is a cult classic. Well, The Godfather wasn't Scorsese, right? It was uh, the other guy, the American zoetrope guy. I can't think of his name right yeah, now. I don't, I don't uh, know. But damn. But yeah, the movie's on Netflix. Now, I didn't watch the movie. I mean, I obviously I planned to. But the only reason I bring this up is because it reminded me of what you were just talking about, like huh. your struggles of getting movie movies made. And, I, and the, the reason I say that is because everything... Like, you can just look around and everything starts with a dream, right? Apple, the most successful company in the world, started what? With a dream. Mm -hmm. Amazon, Jeff Bezos started with a dream in a garage, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. If you look at old old pictures of Jeff Bezos when he first started, he started, he started Amazon in his fucking garage. Now this now this man is like one of the top five most wealthiest men in the world. Uh, fucking Ferrari, Ford. These cars are named after people. It started with a dream. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So everything starts with a dream, and then you can hear a bunch of no's. You can hear no, 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 no. It's just like when you, when, if, if a young man goes to a club and he, he approaches 10 girls and those 10 girls say, no, get out of my face. Right. And then the club, the club is closing and you're walking out 
And there's that one girl who will say yes to you as you're walking out. And then you go home with her. I don't want to put girls with dreams in the same boat, but you don't understand what I'm saying. Yeah, actually, it all it, it takes it t- dream, everything starts with a dream. Yes, and then it if you have determination, drive. People will eventually notice. So, like you said, you were you were hearing all these no's, and then you're like you didn't have confidence, but you don't know who's watching. There might be someone who's like way in the background that you don't even know about who's fucking, who's watching you. And it's like, yo, I see this guy, but I don't think it's his time yet. I want to know if he's really invested in his dream. And he's just going to sit back in the background and just watch you. He's going to watch and see if you give up. And if you don't fucking give up, he's going to be like, you know what? It's time for me to put my money in him. And next thing you know, he's cutting you a check for $2 million for you to make your fucking movie because he sat back and watched you struggle and you didn't give up. And believe it or not, a lot of businessmen, these investors, they have millions and millions and billions of dollars that that are just laying around. That They have more money than they can spend in their whole lifetime. So they're like, oh, how can I invest? They're just looking for shit to invest in. These fucking people in fucking uh, Palo Alto. Yeah. These are billionaires and millionaires. Just looking, sitting in their couch, just looking for shit to invest in. And they're scrolling the web. They're looking for the next best thing. And they can, they're, they're throwing thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars to just random companies, startups, random people because they don't want to miss out on the best thing. Shaq said, uh, I'm going on a rant right now, but Shaq, Sha- Shaquille O'Neal, you know who Shaquille O'Neal is, right? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Shaquille O'Neal famously said in an interview that he had the chance to invest in Uber when it first started. Not even when it started, when it was being pitched to different like millionaires and shit mm-hmm. to get funding. Shaq had the uh, the chance to invest to become like a part owner of Uber, right? But he was like, eh. I don't, see, I don't see it. And next thing you know, Uber is what it is now. And Shaq said that's one of his regrets. Instagram, there's multiple uh, celebrities and millionaires, billionaires uh, who had the chance to invest in Instagram. And Instagram is what it is now. And they fucking regret not uh, doing with Instagram. So basically what I'm saying is your dream might be small to you, but there's always somebody like when I do this podcast, I don't know who's listening. Oprah might be listening, might watch, might listen to this episode. Hey, girl. <laughs> we don't know. So you don't know who the fuck is listening, right? right? And then someone who listens to this randomly and be like, you know what? I like Jason's story. I I fucking relate to his to his childhood. I also had a dad that I didn't like. I also had a mom who was a fucking alcoholic. The fact that he went through all this and boom, and I also respect that he was in the military and he's he's pursuing his fucking goal. 
you know what? I want to invest in this motherfucker. Where, where's his, what's his email? What, blah, blah, blah. And then next thing you know, he reaches out to you. Next thing you know, you have a meeting. Next thing you know, you're working on, uh, you're at Universal Studios in Studio A mm. and making this movie that you've been working on for fucking 10 years with the backing of a, of a millionaire. So that's all I'm saying. And I don't even know why I went into this rant, but I think it's something that everyone, plus you need to hear, plus myself. Yes. Well, part of me was thinking, I have something I want to say to that. But the other part of me was thinking, that was a beautiful close. If you wanted to be at a close, I could shut the hell up and we could let it be at that. <laughs> I will let you choose, but I do have something to say on that. Go ahead. Most all of my life, <clears throat> and this might be like the helpless child syndrome, I had this idea that someone was going to see my talent and reward me for it. Mm. And I remember I saw an episode of the Brady Bunch when I was growing up where the whole family's getting out of their station wagon with the wood panels on it and shit, and they're going to the grocery store. And there's this guy with glasses and a bald head, I think it was, and he's sizing them up. And he's like looking at them like, man, it's like, you know, like, like this is an interesting family or whatever. And eventually the whole thing where they become singers and stars and celebrities, that part of the Brady Bunch, which maybe some of you know, but like it put this idea in my head that someone's going to see my talent. And like, I've always had this, like it's this savior complex thing. Like someone's going to see your talent and they're going to give you the money to do the thing. And it's like this hope that I've been holding on to. And I really would like to feel that way. But I feel like for me, it's fool's gold in terms of my own, in my own idiom. That's a part of you that's waiting and hoping for someone to save you. And in my graduation of becoming a man, that's a great idea. And I think someone will invest. And I think if you make yourself valuable enough of a commodity, then what my grandma said comes true, but not in the way that you saw it in that negative light. You got to know somebody to get in. Well, right. But if you make your product good and you develop that momentum and you stay on the right side of the line, you will meet the people. You will be introduced to them. They will see what you're doing. And at some point you will align with those. But I feel like there's work that I'm supposed to be doing first. And I'm trying to limit like what I attract to. Well, no, there's still work you need to do. But the savior complex thing is something I had to realize I was doing. I'm waiting for someone to save me. Almost like some kind of helpless child. I'm waiting for, like, I even used to imagine I'd just be sitting at the bus stop when I was a kid, and then some guy's running, and he drops a bag of money, and then we see a cop car go by, and he just robbed a bank, and he drops some money, and I open up the bag, and there's money. Like, I used to imagine things. I like dream of that. And I, I realize it's that, please do, uh, it's that 
part of me that's dependent as a child on somebody saving me, and I realize my work is to take ownership, you're going to have to man this thing. You're going to have to do it until someone shows up to help, which could bring me back to the whole, you should get some help. You should get some help, right? Mm. I did an outreach recently. I went onto Facebook, and granted, I probably didn't do a good enough job, but I finally said, okay, I want to go out and get some AFX people. So I, I searched through some Bay Area filmmaking groups on Facebook to be like, hey, and I, I wrote this really good thing. I copied and pasted it in a few of them where it's like, hey, I'm a filmmaker. I'm starting an exciting new series. I need special effects help. You know, I'm in Premiere, but I need someone who knows After Effects, 3D camera tracking, maybe some mocha and all these other things. Like, I need someone, you know, da da da, whatever. Sent that. Then I went to like the people because the work I'm doing with miniatures, there's like this whole world of people that build these miniature, like, uh, uh, I forget the name of them, but like they build these small scale things that would be good for like GI Joe size, like a, like a warehouse or a, a room or something like that. Mm. Like I, I need someone to help me build sets. I need someone who sews the doll miniature clothing because I need to make this weird outfit that's going to fit on some guy's hand, which if you think about it, this guy's shoulder is by his neck, right? And this shoulder's down by his hip. Mm. You can't put a Ken shirt on that shit. You got to make, so I'm making, and I'm not a seamstress. I'm making these clothes for these dudes. And like, I don't know how to do this. So anyways, I reached out to all these different entities that I needed help from. I was willing to open the gates and I don't, I don't mean to play the violin, but nobody really got back to me, which could say a few things, mm. but I think there are more people out there now trying to make films and content than there ever were. And there's less people sitting on the sidelines. It's almost like if you do VFX, you've got your own channel. You got your own work. I don't think anybody's sitting on the sidelines anymore. I think there is more competition now than there's ever been. I don't think so. Okay. I think it seems like that. Okay. But see, this, this is my thing. When, when all this COVID shit happened, right? Everyone was making content. Everyone had a, everyone was popping up with a podcast. Yeah. All these, even celebrities, celebrities mm -hmm. left and right, popping up with a podcast, right? That's right. But a lot of people didn't realize because people think, oh, oh a podcast, you just, oh, you just sit down and fucking talk. But there's a lot of shit that goes into a podcast. First of all, you got to know what type of equipment you, mm -hmm. you have, you need software. Um, lighting and fucking video. Um, people, a lot of people don't know that you have to pay for a, to have your podcast distributed to all these different platforms. And that's like a monthly cost. So there's a lot of things that go into podcasting and then you got to be entertaining. You got to be able to talk. So a lot of people misjudge podcasting. And I'm just talking about podcasting right. uh, as an example. So a lot of people started podcasts. And then a few months go by and then they stop because they realize how hard it is. Like you have to like you have to do podcasts every week, every every, every you have to get guests every week, scheduling, you gotta do everything. So a lot of people didn't realize that and then they start podcasts thinking it was easy, and the next thing you know, three, four or five episodes in, their podcast is over. Done. So 
I think it started off with a lot of uh, competition, but then if you start off and if this is like your dream, all you got to do is just like fucking keep doing it, basically. Because people are just going to fall off once they realize how hard the climb is. They think everyone is just going to like, boom, shoot straight up to the top. But no, you got to go through... like Frederick, du- Frederick Douglass said this famous quote, without mm-hmm. no struggle, there's no progress. So you're, the climb, that's the climb. You're going to yes. have to go through all this shit. There's learning. You're going to fail over and over and over. Fail, 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 fail. And that when you fail, you're going to learn. Like, oh, I failed. I learned that mistake. Now I'm not going to make that mistake anymore. Oh, now I learned this other mistake. I'm not going to make that mistake anymore, right? Right. So you're failing, you're failing, you're failing, and you're learning, you're learning and learning, and then it's the climb. Then next thing you know, you're on fucking top. But a lot of people nowadays, and it, it, that it comes to another conversation about millennials, <laughs> <laughs> but we're not going to get into that. But a lot of a lot of people nowadays just think everything is so so easy. Mm-hmm. And you can tie that into like sports and the whole fucking LeBron versus Michael Jordan debate. Oh, Jordan, there was a struggle. He went through the Detroit Pistons, getting beat up left and right before he accomplished the first championship. But then LeBron just hopped on a super team. Don't tempt me with that conversation. So that's a conversation. But but basically, you understand what I'm saying, right? Yes, Jordan is the goat. Yes, I totally understand. Yep. <laughs> but you understand. The, no, I absolutely yeah, understand. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Uh, I think river rocks are beautiful. River stones. They're yeah. beautifully smooth objects. Well, how did this happen? This happened through the attrition of millions of years of those things beating up on each other as the water is pushing them through. They didn't start as these beautiful, smooth stones. Mm. That was all through the chaos of them failing and hitting and boom, over and over again. That's how they got that. that. I mean, I guess that's an illustration that I think I like because they became beautiful through attrition, mm. through failure. I, I am not a musician, but when I opened my iris and ideas were coming through, a couple of songs came to me, and one of them is kind of about that. Basically, you can't, first of all, it's all you. It's you and you and only you. Um, I, I, I do speak to people taking ownership, not being a victim, because if you're being a victim, yeah. you're not taking responsibility for your life. But the other part is basically uh, you can't succeed if you don't fail. And I think people fear and misunderstand not failure necessarily, but pain because failure is a, is a, is a word that we kind of impose on things. And it's basically based on perspective of what a failure or a success is, Mm -hmm. but pain, people don't want to feel pain. In fact, in our physiology, physiology, Uh, Our fight or flight also does not want to feel pain. It wants to avoid pain. It's trying to survive. And so it's protecting itself. Yet in this society where things are set up, if you want to succeed, it's only on the other side of pain and fear that you can have paradise. And that's where our work is. But people, you know, the victory, the victory is like icing on the cake. 
It's delicious. It tastes great, but it does mm-hmm. nothing for you. In fact, it's some people's downfall because they expected a victory to be all these things. It's, it's attrition. It's, it's hard work. It's, you know, I feel the people that were born into unfortunate situations actually have a jump on people that were born into situations where everything's given to them. Granted, we could have that argument because yes, well, they have money, they have these things. And a lot of these people are fucking miserable because they've never had the attrition, but the people who are born into a certain situation where things are hitting them or whatever, they're stronger. Mm. They're better. I listen to a lot of ET too. Uh, A lot of what? Mr. Thomas, motivational speaker. ET. ET. He's here. He's a guy you always hear talking to football teams. You know, Earl Thomas. Huh? Is it Earl Thomas? Yes. Okay. You got to succeed as bad as you want to breathe. I know. (laughs) I know that he is like one of those beautiful river stones. Yeah. And whenever I listen to him, like I know he's coming straight from the heart. And mm. He's a beautiful man. Uh, he he's a perfect example of that. You know? Where do you where do you get your your where do you get motive? What inspires you? What do you get motivation from? Ooh, good question. Keeps coming with the good questions. Where do I get inspiration from? Fudge. All right, we're gonna go to a commercial break. No. Um, <laughs> I was about to say, are we? No, God, no. It's your show. Um, I get it from music. Um, Damn. I might have too good of a buzz on to go too deep in. Mm. Just say whatever comes to your mind. All right. We're not politically correct on this show. I get, okay. All right. I'll go, I'll go instinctual. I'll answer, uh, David Goggins, Bruce Lee, uh, fucking, yeah, Steven Spielberg, uh, mm-hmm. Hans Zimmer. Where do I get my inspiration from? Where do I get my inspiration from? Denzel Washington. Where do I get my inspiration from? Fuck. Uh, Dr. Wayne Dyer. Um, this is a man who demystified all the religion shit and regurgitated it back to me from great poets and spiritual people of all different walks mm. into a, a very digestible form to where I could understand God a little bit better. Mm. Um, yeah. I, that's so, you, I so you, so you, you named a couple of uh, people and I'm pretty sure the reason you get inspiration from Bruce Lee is different from, the inspiration you get from Denzel Washington. But is there anything that's similar with all of those men that you can name? Ooh. What what similarities do all of these characters have? Uh, that's what is is the reason why you named these specific people. Character through attrition. Character through attrition. Uh, a beautiful form of self-expression. Uh, and I guess the self-expression is the foundation of their self-expression is unique in their own way, but it's based on hard work, belief, and a vision. David Goggins had a vision. He was up against himself. Mm. Um, he was a guy. I don't know. I don't know who David Goggins is. Who was that? David Goggins is a Navy SEAL. 
It, uh, is it that black guy who's bald? Yes. Okay, yeah. Yes. I see him on YouTube. Okay. Right. He's like the fuck you. He put the F you back in fun in yeah. terms of motivation. It's like okay. it's all hardcore. It's it's too hardcore for some people. Mm. But he's basically like, fuck people. They don't know. You got to, you know, it's all about, I'm up here at four in the morning. Nobody here this way. There's nobody here this way. You know, he's just... He's just up for the fight, wherever the fight's going to happen, you know, and a lot of it's about just running and, you know, he talks about how he's training marathons, how his, you know, shins were all busted up and he just duct taped them together. Like just, Mm. if you want hardcore mental, like you may have heard him on some of these motivational mixes and not even known it. I've seen him on Rogan for the, that's how I know. Okay. Yeah. I mean. That's an extreme. Yeah. But it's like when uh, when I'm really feeling it and I really don't want to do it, I try to access a David Goggins-like type of drill instructor part in my head. And that one is a little bit abusive. Mm. That's the voice that says, get the fuck up, pussy. Yeah. You know, it talks shit. Mm. It talks shit. It's kind of like, you know, linked to my demons a little bit. They talk shit. They, you know push me around because like the other, the other guys aren't working, you know, the, uh, come on, it's going to be a beautiful day. Let's go meet the adventure. Well, when that voice isn't working, then the fuck you voice sometimes has to, you know, rattle my cage a little bit, you know, wake up, get up, get out, you know, that type of thing. Mm. So really it's, it's just about showing up and getting it done. But like sometimes Well, I think David Goggins even says, you know, like motivation is great, but then that shit runs out. What do you got? And then ET would tell you, well, you got to have your why. What's your why? When you're depleted in every other way and your demons are upon you and all this other stuff, what is your why? Is it your family? You got five kids to feed? Like what's your thing? For me, it's different because I don't have that. I don't have the wife and kids. My why is I think that the people that I love, the people that care about me, mm. and this is probably wrong because they all love me and they're proud of me and they love the person I've become in pursuit of all the things. But I feel like if I died tomorrow and they had to go through all of my shit and look at all of my written ideas and all these drawings and all these things that I have to be like everything he had was invested in making this dream of having his little shows and his series done and that I didn't really arrive because technically as an artist, you could say based on perspective, a convenient perspective, I am successful Mm -hmm. right now. I have freedom that most people don't to create my shit, to work on my stuff. Yeah. Thank God. But I want to arrive I want a contract. I do want these things. And with the invocation of wanting these things, I am going to suffer and struggle because every morning I'm going to wake up and that comfort zone is going to want to say, you've done enough. Go to the cafe, grab a cup of coffee. We'll still work on scripts, but go hang out, go be with people. When really what I should be doing is going to the workshop and building some shit and getting some shit done. And so I wake up every morning like, beating myself up that I could be doing more 
And so if I may kind of seg to what it is that motivates me back to that for a second, there's two things that drive me. There's two things that I feel that will get me to success. And one of them is that hustle culture, the athletic kind of coaching Mm -hmm. ET kind of uh, drill instructor Marine Corps thing. And that is the, you know, hard love. Don't be a fucking pussy. Get it done. Show up. Let's go hustle. Let's go. Right. Hustle culture. That's what I call hustle culture. That's one part of my thing. The other part though, and it's completely contradictory is this intention thing, this law of attraction thing. Do you, may I ask if you subscribe to these types of beliefs, like thoughts become things or whatever? Yeah. Okay. Of course. I also subscribe to that. Mm. Not everybody does though. Um, but I fully do. And so that belief system, of course, says, you know, fake it till you make it. Or, you know, if you really want to uh, receive the things that you've asked for, you got to already appropriate the beliefs and the feelings and the visions and all the stuff. Convince yourself that you already have it. See the wood paneling on the steering wheel of the boat. Fuck it. The boat. Why not? Why? Don't be limited, right? The universe has no limitations. See the house that you have. See the wooden posts going across the ceiling and, you know, the marble fucking, like, see all the stuff and then feel that shit. And then be excited and then, like, sit up in your car and look in your rearview mirror and smile as people look at you like you're insane when they're driving by. Mm. You don't give a fuck because you're feeling like you're already there, right? So these two things conflict with each other, trying to be at peace and allow and realizing that there's plenty of people that work their asses off and don't get shit because their belief systems tell them, you know, you're never going to make it or, you know, like whatever, whatever the belief system that's stuck in their subconscious just says you're not going to have money or whatever the fucking thing is. And they work their asses off, but they stay in the same place, stay in the same port. Basically. Mm. Mm. So I know that there's some surrender in that you can't just work the thing. You got to also have this intention side lined up, right? You got to start visualizing yourself doing all these things. I feel like there's just in my life, there's this crazy, it's like a boat. It's just rocking back and forth. Sometimes the boat's rocking towards, you know, okay. We got to work our asses off because you can intend all the fuck you want. But my goal is to have successful television shows that want to get picked up, right? What do I have to show for this? Well, I got to make the shows to sell the shows. So you can have so much of this happy horse shit, you know, intention stuff. But if you haven't done the work, you got to do it. So anyways, that's actually truly I don't know what to say if that's what motivates me. I believe this is the formula of success is that just balancing this thing back and forth. Yeah. You know, we got hard work, work your ass off. However, stop for a second, surrender, put your fucking tools down. Take a second to breathe. Probably away from the mic too much, but allow yourself to breathe and just visualize it as if it's already happening. I've been working on this shit. Mm. Every once in a while, I can get there. And then they say the whole trick of it is, well, okay, you don't necessarily have the material, tangible stuff 
to coincide with it. But if you can get to the place where you feel the same exact way you would if you had the shit, you're already there, man. You got it, right? So I, <laughs> I'm not trying to come like the Dr. Phil or, you know, whatever. Well, you did. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, uh, that's good. I mean, well, the formula to success is something that n- n- like no one knows because every person's path to success is different. So there, there is no actual like real formula because if, if there was, more people will find success. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Is that a drum machine? Is that a what? Is that a drum? You make music with that? No, no, that's a uh, that's a mixer. Oh, those aren't the hot keys where you go. Mm. No, no, that's a. Uh, mm. okay. That is a fancier version of what's in this computer. Oh, gotcha. Oh, that's a road. Uh, damn, what is it? It's a road. Uh, that's a Zoom digital recorder. Yeah, that's a Zoom H6, and that's a that's that's a mixer basically. Got you. So if you were recording with your laptop, you'd go through that into your. No, no, I don't need. If I was using that, I won't need the laptop. Oh, gosh, you, gosh, you. Oh, okay, that's okay. that's yeah, that's that's a fancier thing. Nice. That's what I use for this couch sit. Right on. Okay. <clears throat> but anyway, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I see All right, so last. This is my last question. Yes, sir. This was an amazing conversation. Um, yeah, it's, it's the whole point of this podcast is basically what defines this conversation that we just had. You will never know how crazy a person, or how not even how crazy, but how interesting a person is, a stranger's life is, until you just talk to him. And me learning about your life, your upbringing, and what you went through. I mean gave me motivation. I, mean, I feel like this is like a fucking motivational podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but my last question to you, sir, is yes. if you were to die tomorrow, would you be satisfied with the life that you lived so far? No. No. Okay. I mean, well, you can elaborate. Yeah, let's fuck it. Okay, elaborate. This was another that. beautiful close. I don't want to. No, close, close, the, close the interview out. Elaborate. All right. I had an out of body experience. And, and Jason, so, stay on subject, motherfucker. Stay I did. on. I am. All right, go ahead. Let me show you how. I had an out-of-body experience. Uh, I crashed my bike at night, uh, jacked on my head. I was out for three hours, dislocated my shoulder, and I was in a place. Mm -hmm. I was in an in-between place. Uh, Some people call it an exit point. And in this place, there was something that I was aware was a form of intelligence, which didn't need to speak words to communicate with me. And I was aware that was there. I remember colors of yellow and orange. I also realized that time did not exist here. 
like it was infinite, right? I was aware of myself. I was aware that I'd been in an accident. And I basically feel strongly that it was imposed to me, like, well, not imposed, but it was brought to me like you have a choice. Do you want to go back to your life or you can stay here? It's all good. And I basically had a knowing at that moment that if I came back to my life and lived another 50 years in a wheelchair or whatever, that I knew I was coming back to that place. And so with that knowledge, I decided, well, yeah, why don't I just go back? I kind of have this feeling that everything's going to be fine. This is an oversimplification of a very incredible story. Mm. But I guess I'm trying to contradict myself because... I'm aware of from that place that everything is fine. Nothing really matters as much as we make it out to be. We are making this a lot more difficult than we really need it to be. So I am absolutely happy with what I've done and been able to do. My ego says that I have to achieve these things in film and whatever, but the Buddhist Taoist in me is like, doesn't matter. So I, I, I'm going to contradict myself. I would be very yeah, upset. So I would be very upset. You said you, you would not be happy about. These ideas came to me, Jordan. <laughs> and they're still, they're still not out for the people to see. Okay. So I have, I have work to do. Have me back in a year. Ask mm. me that question again. I feel it will be much more successful. This is going to be a great year for so both do you of want us. So do you want to change your answer? If you were to die tomorrow, would you be happy about the life that you live? You, your first answer was no. And it's still no because I got still work no. to do. I got so work to give do. So give me two. Let's make it quick. Right. Give me two things. Your answer was no. So yes. give me two things that you would change or will work on or whatever. I'm going to get my shows done. By hook or crook, I'm going to get shows shot. Shows shot and done. Shot and done. Okay. Release the idea to someone who can bankroll it. Mm-hmm. And then I will be in syndication. Okay. Then when That's my fun. ideas are out there and they're going and then I get my team, now we can start producing all these scripts and ideas and whatever. I can get these things out. If I died in two years having this done. I think we're talking about tomorrow. If you were to die tomorrow, not two years. You want your shows done. What's the second one? What's the second one that you would change about your life? Well, I'm a hopeless romantic. Oh, you want kids? I, I would, no. No, no, no. I just, I would like to meet my muse. I, I, I don't have a lot of faith in what I'm seeing from women these days, but mm. there's this dumb well, are idea. You, are you trying to date like 20-year-olds and shit? I'm not messing with anything right now that's going to get me off track i flirt i mess around see this is a different podcast god damn it yeah, well, well i don't want to uh, <laughs> you should go to thailand man you should <laughs> go to bang- bangkok is calling your name you you're a bangkok motherfucker i can see that i, I you will thrive you will thrive blog. in thailand i just got back from thailand but we're not gonna we're not that. gonna we're not gonna talk about that i know you did all right so all right well anyway all right well I enjoy this conversation. I, I, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you very much. Tell the people, the the thousands and the millions that are listening around the world, where they can find you if you wanna if you wanna give out your social medias, if you wanna give out your email, or if you wanna give out your like YouTube channel, this is your time. 
to promote whatever the fuck you want to promote. Thank you, Jordan. Appreciate you. Um, my current channel on YouTube right now is called Jason Wheat, like the bread, W-H-E-A-T, creates. And you see this guy with a slate in one hand and a camera in the other. He's kind of flying at you doing a kick. That's my channel right now. That's like a vlog with some stuff. Mm. But when I'm ready to release this new channel, it's, I believe it's going to be called Welcome to Fingertown. And that's going to be the whole new hub and channel for this new new species of entertainment so watch out for it is there anywhere any way that people can see that first that movie that you made while you were in the military is that out anywhere in the world okay so on that channel jason we creates uh i made a trailer for it so you can at least see the trailer the trailer's dope because you don't have to last through the two hours of it but Wait, what I if had, someone wants to see the two hours is that out no no so you have the trailer, but we can't see the fucking movie. That would make, what sense does you. that make? Zero. Okay. I have. Well, I was going to release episodes. Okay. I'm going to bring this all to a head right here, okay? I stopped doing the vlog, and I stopped releasing footage six months ago mm. because I realized the vlog and editing the vlog and trying to make stories out of these random captures that I did was taking so much time that I was never going to get my real dream done. Mm -hmm. so i decided while i'm in the studio while i have this opportunity for the very reasonable rent that i do have there i need to work on my dream i can always do a vlog i can do a homeless vlog if i want to it's still a vlog but while i have the studio i need to spend every second i have working on this stuff so i did put certain productions aside I have a movie I made during lockdown called The Pallet Heist. It's a movie about this guy who's making shit with pallets and shit, and he's this heist guy, and I shot the whole thing. I didn't finish editing that. Well, if your movies are done, why don't you just fucking put them, on your, put them out on your YouTube page? Would you like to be my manager? <laughs> <laughs> You're right. I'm not good at managing, but... You're right. Just, yeah. Probably disagree, just, but... Just throw the shit out there. Who gives a fuck? Thank you. And see what... It's like... Imagine if... You know who Basquiat is, right? Who? Basquiat. Uh-uh. John Michel Basquiat. I'd be... Okay, well... I probably know who of him, but I'm terrible with names. Well, just... Just imagine... Well... How can I explain this? Imagine a famous painter... Imagine a famous painter who just kept their fucking... Imagine if Andy Warhol, right? Yes. Just kept his, his art to himself mm-hmm. because he was he was self-conscious and was like, oh, I don't think anyone would like this. Just imagine that. Just put your shit out there and just see what happens. Who gives a fuck? You know what I'm saying? I, too, have been inspired to okay. do work. Jordan, well... All right, well, Jason Wheat, um, I hope everyone who's listening goes to his YouTube channel, supports him, um, hopefully. Let's cross our fingers that he will put this amazing movie that he's been fucking talking about while he was in the military. And we can see that shit because he's been hiding it. But whatever, let's pressure him. Um, Everyone go follow him. Do you have Instagram or anything? I do. Jason Wheat Creates. For everything. Jason Wheat Creates. Is this this one long? All right. Yes. Jason Wheat Creates on Instagram. Jason Wheat Creates on YouTube. Yes, sir. 
So yeah, everyone reach out to him. And if you are, he didn't say this, but I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be his manager for the next two for the next thirty seconds. If you're an artist, actor, if you're a fucking video photographer, if you're a writer, if you're a college student and just want to intern for some shit and just learn. Because a lot of you college students, you need to intern for your fucking, for your fucking graduate class school or whatever to say you intern for somewhere. Holla at Jason Wheat, and then next thing you know, you guys can create something and build. Because there's nothing like starting with a company that's that was on the bottom and grown with that company. Don't be like Shaq. Yeah. Imagine if you started at Facebook. And this, uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go off for a minute. All right. All right. <laughs> so Facebook, right? When Facebook started, they had the original people that started at Facebook, Correct. right? It was Ida Leaguers. Yeah. When Facebook first started, and these people, you knew how rich they're like they're one of the like the these people started at Facebook when it was, and then when Facebook became Facebook, what did they do? They sold, and now they they're billionaires. But yeah, we're not going to get into that. Can't comprehend that well. But yeah. But there's a thing about starting with a company. That's why everyone loves to work for startups. Because you can be like, yo, I started with this company when it was nothing. I had to, I shared the dream. Right. And now this company is worth $3 billion or $3 million. And you could say, oh, I'm a founding father. But yeah. This fucking uh, what is this proper number twelve that Jason brought is Irish getting to whiskey. me, so I'm I'm ranting. But right. Jason, uh, I appreciate you, man. Um, yeah, it was crazy how we met. It was through emails. Some ran I put a random email out. You 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 put the pressure on me. You was like, I wasn't sure you were gonna have me. <laughs> well, I had a shit ton of emails I had to scour yeah. through, but you put the pressure on me. You you you're. you're you were like, yo, fucking get me on the podcast, man. Why haven't you re- hey, replied to me? But I, I tuned in and I'm like, I oh. accept it. I like that. Because that's how you get shit done. That's how. That's what I do with other companies and other fam- uh, other people who have who I need to talk to. You had to put the pressure on them. But um, yeah, any last words? Thank you for having me on the Everyday Celebrity Podcast. I've wanted to be on here for a while now, and I appreciate you, Jordan. You've been better in person than you've been in my imagination of being here. Mm. I'm really happy I made it. I hope you have not like three and a half hours of shit you have to cut through, but I hope this has been worth it. I don't edit, so when I push start to finish, that's what people get. (laughs) And this is a long, this is is a a lot of shit. Thank you, man. But yeah. All right. Well, this is Everyday Celebrity Podcast, and we are out. You.